Hello there, everyone. Welcome to episode 11 of True Cult Pop. It's actually a music podcast. That is that is what it is. It's me, Stephen Hill, and joining me as ever, the O-Sale, the O2 pre-sale code <laughs> to my obsession with getting weekend tickets. It's Sam Slight. That was a little bit meta, that I was. guess, Sam. But you're all right. You got me a pre-sale code for the weekend uh, tickets, and I'm very, 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 very delighted because you got me them. Thanks. That's all right, mate. Yeah, well, that and Duran Duran. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm yeah. proving myself pretty invaluable at this point, I think. You are. Yeah. Duran Duran, now you're talking. I went in on that action. I want Duran Duran Duran. Sorry, you ain't introduced me. <laughs> no, I, I haven't I haven't done that yet, but fine. Ja, mate, I can, I can sort you out a Duran Duran ticket, Jamie. For oh. sure. If you want one. Of course, if they're playing the wedding album, start to finish, I'm there. Oh, what an album! Anyway, look, <laughs> hey, I'm going to do. I'm going to keep that, but I'm also going to introduce you. You might have heard we've, we've got a guest on the show this week. Our, our guest this week is an acclaimed solo artist, a former member of the cult UK Brit rock band Ruben, a graphic designer of some note, a contributor to the Doctor Who uh, magazine. Uh, and a mega fan also we reviewed his latest album the atheist on last week's show and of course he is a man who i am never ever ever going to forget uh slagged off my band Steggle live on stage at farnborough <laughs> when you're in angel said we were a your shit support band i'm never letting it go it's fine it's in like 2001 still haven't let it go but anyway it's jamie lenman jamie how are you mate you good Hello. I feel like this is an intervention. You know what I mean? <laughs> I just caught me around here. I feel like we've had this Steggle beef before, but we I have. can't remember it, which <laughs> is maybe even worse than uh, remembering it, right? Yeah, mate. I, I, I bring it up all the time, and it's obviously it's a joke. I don't really oh. mind. But I tell you what, our bass player... He does. Yeah. He does still mind all these years later. <laughs> I, I said to him the other day, I was like, "Oh, oh I've got Jamie Lemon coming on the show," and he went, "Oh, remember when he fucking said we were shit? What's all that about? Oh, Why did he do that?" No. And I was like, "Mate, you're oh, forty. No. You're a dad now. You're forty-two. Come on, you got to get over it." I gotta tell you, some bands are shit. It is we true. We weren't great, to be honest. We weren't great. What, what are you gonna do? I we, mean, I'd like Steve. Have you got recordings of Steggle? Mm. I do, I'd yeah. really like I'd really like to hear them if you feel I ain't gonna like slap them back in your face. <laughs> I'd really like to hear them with my um you know twenty five years later ears. Would I, that be possible? It would be possible. I mean, you know, I don't I don't necessarily think that this is something that you want to waste your time doing, Jamie, because it's not like you don't need listen, to listen, I had to listen to Carter USM just a minute ago for this podcast. You I'm did. more than happy to listen to Steggle. All right, fair it's enough. Got- well, I mean, God, is that, I, think, I feel like I've put you through enough, Jamie, if I'm done. Yeah, you do enough, that. Yeah, so right. you don't have to listen to my shitty old band particularly, but it is out there on the YouTubes mm. if you want to find it. Oh, is it? Just, just like, right, yeah, check it out. Know, check right. it out. Yeah. I'll get Ooh. a text in a couple of days going, oh, I was right. You, you were shit. No. <laughs> <I'm not. laughs> anyway, um, mate, we reviewed your album last week and I, it's one of, I'm not just saying this because you're on the show and it's not just because you're on the show that I'm doing this, but what we do quite a lot is review a bunch of albums and you go, that was really good. And then you just never listen to it again. And some albums, the best albums for me are the ones where you record and you go, that was good. And all oh, the job bit is done where I've spoken about how much I like it or how much I don't like it. But yet I've decided to, of my own accord listen to it anyway and i found myself this last week doing that a lot i I really love the record it's great that's really uh lovely to say and you know i i i take the meaning very much to heart because i'm in a similar position to you guys in that i listen to a lot of um not albums but i listen to a lot of audio plays 
because uh, that's one of my many jobs is reviewing them for Doctor Who magazine. So I have to listen to hours and hours of audio plays, Doctor Who audio plays every every week, every month. And again, I know exactly what you mean. It's the ones that you go back to once the job is over and listen to again that you know, like, man, I really like them. So for me to be one of them, that's a huge honour. Thank you very much for saying that. It's good. I mean, I don't know if you would echo that, Sam. Oh, absolutely. I mean, um, yeah, I've listened to the... I've probably listened to the album... Gosh, I mean, when did we record last week? We recorded on Thursday last week. I think I've listened last to Thursday. it at least 10 times since then. And I think oh my ba- Bad God. Friend in particular, um, I have probably listened to about 50 times, quite often on the trot. Like, on Friday night, I got home from work and I just stuck it on, yeah, four times back to back. And I was like, I just love wow. this song so much and it's making me cry and I like that. So that's good. I'm glad that got you in the feels, buddy. I remember that the Roxins review of Shuffle was the kindest review that that record got. Not that they, any of them were particularly harsh, but I felt like Roxins really got it, really understood it, and that meant a lot uh, to me. So again, for you to say that about The Atheist, you know, that's got weight to it, and I, I really appreciate it. You're very welcome. I'm, I'm glad you're so happy with it. Uh, I mean, how do you feel about the reaction to the record sort of from uh, the Rescue fan base sort of online? Have you... Have you been enjoying people sort of getting so into the record so far? Yeah, I, the thing is, I'm struggling to remember what it was like when my last record came out, when King of Clubs came out. It does feel like the reaction has been very positive, but then there's never really been a negative reaction. I'm going to go out on a limb and say it's probably more positive than the reaction to King of Clubs, which was itself fairly positive. It, the thing that it feels like to me with the the fans and maybe not so much the press the press have had some bizarre takes on it if i'm honest um but the, the fans my audience i don't really like the word fans it's my supporters let's say i feel like they've really got it in the feels and particularly when you isolate things like bad friend and some people have talked about you know this town will never let mm. us go the deep cuts the the songs that i consider to be the bones of the record you know that Talk Hard and Lena Don't Leave Me, they're like the pretty face, you know? <laughs> Whereas um, those later deep cuts on the, on the slightly more... And this is, again, something that you said, because I listened to your review, without realising it was you guys, actually. Um, you, you mentioned that it takes a sort of a darker turn on side B, which is correct. And that's where I think you get into the real guts of it. And those are the bits that people have been talking about, you know, War of mm. Doubt, that kind of thing. So uh, that's been interesting. Yeah, the reviews tend to focus on side A, Whereas my supporters, my long-term supporters, tend to be mining side B a bit. That's quite a fascinating divide. Mm. I mean, for me, the wedding ring was the one I spoke to. Yeah. So unlike anything, I think, probably. Is it really that unlike anything you've ever done before? I'm sort of wondering if... I think certainly, sonically speaking, it was something that I was like, oh, this is like very, very sparse. Mm. And it just felt like your most... I mean... It sort of sounds. People would take the word "earnest" as <laughs> a, a sort of as almost like an insult these days. You know what I mean? Like, oh, you know, yes. like because we live in this sort of meta. Uh, you got to be kind of sarcastic meta. Oh, it's all parody. It's all like post whatever world. But I don't know. There's something about your record. This record, and not to say you weren't being honest previously, but this feels deeply, deeply stripped back, very bare, and incredibly honest in a way which. Um, which is, I think, is spoken to certainly to me and Sam. Mm, very much so. Uh, very, very much. I, well, I can't tell you what a relief it is to hear you say that because that was the the roll of the dice that I made. You know, that was the gamble to 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 do things like, for instance, the sparse production on the wedding ring, and and hope that it would translate as 
earnest and honesty yeah so to hear that it you know that i got that bullseye is um it's everything to me thank you for for saying no it's great man it's a really good record really good and um you got lemmania three coming up oh soon. my goodness lemmania three len manchester yeah go on um tell us about i mean that is that i went to the first one it was wicked oh did and you amazing yeah it was great you had a great i had a great time i reviewed it for metal hammer then he got a oh, couple of you? little because you know you're not you're not you yeah. don't have a, you don't have enough spiky bullet belts and all that kind of stuff, Jamie. <laughs> Sorry, to, to fit into the Metal Hammer crew, but um, yeah, I went and reviewed it for Metal Hammer, and I had a lovely day. I remember. Um, I'm glad someone did. I was shut up in my dressing room, shivering and fitting the whole time. <laughs> yeah, it was brilliant. It was great. I mean, that uh. bill you picked, you've done. You, I mean, you've done it again. You picked a bill which is comprised of i've got it in front of me here it's yourself st agnes sick joy james the cold gun katie malco who we reviewed uh previously um bad pit not familiar with that person uh, rad pit bad oh rad pit oh yes you're right it is i thought yeah. it said bad pit but well, that's not, another I'm, band i'm gonna book yeah, them as well. yeah uh brigade other half mystery band Oh yeah, Ooh. is that a name? You got the you got the old poster. That's it's Jen and the Degenerates have filled that slot. Ah, right. Okay, cool. And y- you again? Me again. <laughs> Boring. <laughs> so presumably yeah. that's going to be the full blown electric rock experience and the stripped down acoustic experience. That's you, what you did previously. You got it in one. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Like uh, I've been selling it like I'm the bread in an awesome band sandwich, right? Mm-hmm. I'm the boring bit on either end. Ah, that you. You, you got to get through <laughs> yeah fine how do, uh how how much fun is it to go i'm gonna pick this lineup of stuff just because i like it it's got to be wicked isn't it that's the funnest bit that's a hundred percent the funnest bit to put this whole crazy party together and then when you get to the actual day you realize actually you can't watch any of the bands because you're too busy you know running around or doing interviews and whatnot and even if you could go out into this the show the crowd to watch it there'd be someone in your ear telling you to reform Ruben every three seconds so yeah. you can't concentrate <laughs> and uh so i mean putting it together that's the that's the greatest bit and really lem mania is like um i don't want to tie this into well i mean there's no problem if i tie it into christmas you know christmas they say it's better to give than to receive right yeah and so that. that's how, that's how i feel about well they say that all the time but that's how i feel about lem mania it's like a gift because I put together all this lovely stuff that I know I won't really be able to enjoy fully because I'll be working. So I put it together with excitement, thinking how much other people will enjoy it, right? It's like when you put together a gift for someone, it's not for you. It's You're thinking, oh my God, how happy they're mm. going to be. So that's how I feel putting together that lineup for everyone that's going. Like, you are going to have such a great time. Me, I'm going to be <laughs> shitting it, but you are going to have a pie, right? absolutely mate and cracking lineup 18th of december it takes place yeah so right before christmas are you gonna wear a little gonna do anything festive for it little christmas hat Uh, i might do i might do yeah yeah i'm just trying to look into how much because i don't know what the capacity is like a thousand people how much would it cost to buy a thousand of those little paper christmas hats probably quite a lot and a fire hazard as well, so I might not do yeah. that. Yeah, <laughs> it'd be a fair, it'd be a fair bit. I mean, it's a lot of crackers. Maybe if you bought a thousand Christmas crackers, that's more expensive. What are you talking me the other way? What are you think I made out of toffee pennies? <laughs> um, I was just thinking, what a nice thing that would be to do. I reckon. I might just. Oh, go on, Jamie. Sorry, go on. 
I might just get uh, just a box of roses, right? Cabbage roses. Chuck it yeah. in the audience and shout, scramble, and that'd be it. I was going to say like four or five tubs of celebrations or something. That'll, that'll be enough yeah. to go around. Like, yeah. Nice. What was it get? Cool. One, two, three packs of Toffos. <laughs> Toffos? Uh, Alan a shop soil anyway. chocolate orange. <laughs> yeah, lovely oh, wow. stuff. Um, anyway, let's. Uh, that, so Jamie's here and he's with us for the duration of the show. Um, we are going to be talking about five albums that inspired the sound of your new album plus we're gonna be talking about new music from stormzy um metallica are back um matty healy watches back hey. and um we'll also be telling you to go to our patreon page as well as we always do patreon.com forward slash true cult pop if you'd like to sign up for our exclusive content if you listen to this podcast the day it comes out tomorrow there will be a podcast on outlandos de amor by the police coming up the wow. debut album from the police fan of the police jamie yeah, I do you know I'm one of those guys that I the hits I'm really into the hits I've I haven't looked into the the album deep cuts you know what I mean and if I'm honest it's Stuart Copeland that puts me off do you know what I mean I feel like if I put on one of their records he might turn up and go hey and start like hitting his drumsticks on my frying pans I'm like fuck off Stuart Copeland well that is I mean we go in pretty hard on Sting yes it, on that okay as a man okay. but I mean because uh, wow spoiler alert I fucking love the Police. And, oh yeah! Oh my God! I absolutely love the Police. I think they're one oh, of great. the 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 one of the few bands with a sort of perfect back catalogue. Mm. And that Incredible. debut album is excellent. Spoiler alert! I'm gonna have to go look at it. Oh mate, it's it's amazing. I think you'd love that because it's the it's the kind of shortest, spikiest one. Thirty five minutes. All the songs are just pure. Pop and Stuart bangers. Copeland definitely won't come around and start he, well, I, I a playing so. with his drumsticks. So no, well, he, All right, good. he didn't do it when we reviewed it, did we, Sam? I mean, Sam, you'd never, you were a fairly casual police person, right? Yes, absolutely. I, I would say uh, I was very much in the same boat as yourself, Jamie, where like I know the big hits, those kind of ubiquitous songs that everyone knows. I'd never listened to Police Album in full. And uh, my Lord, how wrong I how wrong I was. Outlander Still More is fucking brilliant and i've since listened to wow. regatta to blank uh three or four times this week as well um oh i i God. think yeah that if, if you like those big hits it's worth investigating all the deep cuts as well because it as it turns out police are really good why didn't anyone tell me yeah honestly yeah, right <laughs> yeah i got that I'm surprised you had time between uh spinning the atheist all the time it was Just alternating the, between the two the yeah, yeah. yeah i bet yeah right <laughs> Oh dear, Sam! You've been caught out. Oh no! <laughs> you can't, don't have time to listen to two albums in a week. You fool! That... You, been, you just want to stop lying. <laughs> um, I got the I got the box set, a vinyl box set of the Police behind me. There, it's one of my most treasured possessions. How many records did they make? They did five. Mm. And I got, oh, I, I, I got, I got, I got, I got a B side uh, vinyl as well, which is good. I bet you have. Ooh. Yeah, I love it. Oh, I love it. But then this is the thing, Jamie Sting as a solo artist don't yes. need don't need that, do you? Do you, need Do you know what? Uh, it's funny you say that because I actually did get uh, Summoner's Tales recently. I picked it up in um, okay. in a charity shop and I enjoyed it. I thought it was good because I saw him do... I'm watching the uh, Top of the Pops' repeats in sequence from the late 70s to Brilliant. they're up to sort of 93 mm. now, which is why I got beef with Kai USM. <laughs> and, um, uh, and Sting's just been on because Summoner's Tales is out and he did If I Ever Lose My Faith, I'm like, mate come on you know as a fan of nine inch nails rising chords a rising chorus give me four chords going up in sequence and i am yours and that fits the bill yeah that I, we actually did I, that was the song i said well look mm. like sting can be a bit of a cock but that is an absolute massive tune massive oh, amazing tune. 
Huge. Yeah. So uh, that's coming out tomorrow. If you'd like to sign up for our £5 a month tier to get our classic albums, you can do that as well over on our Patreon page. Um, Sam's uh, deep dive on Atomizer by Big Black is still up. And wow. coming this Wednesday, we're going to be going something very slightly different to that. We're going to be doing uh, Listen Without Prejudice by George Michael, which I listened cool. to the other day. I mean, again, I bloody love George Michael. Do you like George Michael, Jamie? Who doesn't Listen Without Prejudice... Yeah. cover without george michael it is yeah right? that's the one yeah yeah it's um of course i like george michael but again mm. not something that i've dipped into you know album wise i respect okay. the hits i respect the artists but um you know not not an album guy yeah yet. that that album has got some beautiful mm. beautiful deep cuts on it i think here's a hot take for you here's a hot take I think, and this is from a man who has spent his entire life trying desperately to uh, reincarnate Freddie uh, Mercury uh, with uh, bad results. <laughs> I actually think that George Michael's version of Somebody to Love is better than Freddie's version. And that is a big statement. I feel like Steve might be inclined to agree with you there, oh, to be honest. It's, yeah. it's unbelievable. Yeah, I, I, I don't, I'm not offended or upset or... Just disappointed. Just disappointed. Just disappointed. No, no, not disappointed at all. I think you've got... I mean, you know, I'm... Again, with George Michael, I think, you know, his version of Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me, I think is, again, maybe the definitive version. And his version of Killer, Until I Done It Better. (laughs) Come on, George. (laughs) I'm coming for you, Georgie. (laughs) That is true. That is true. Yeah. Yeah, he's getting the bronze medal for that one. He is. Yeah. Unbelievable. Sorry, pal. Yeah. So anyway, they go over to patreon.com forward slash true cop pop and you can sign up for all that stuff. Um, we always talk about a song that has been stuck in our head this week. Jamie, we asked you to bring one in and you brought in the song Mustard by Chewy She, a song yeah. from their latest album. Um, they're a kind of London based electro trash disco thing. I'd never heard of them before. No, neither. I'd only looked it up because one of my pals is in the music video. It's a very good music video to a very bad song. Okay, I've 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 not seen the music video, but I was I was like, I like the beat. It's got that thumping disco-y beat. I like that. Um, (laughs) There's there's quite a lot going on Mm, in this song. There is. There's this sort of two tone electro meets Eastern something vibes. I think it it it. It manages to, I for me, I quite like it actually. It manages to yeah. be sort of obnoxious, but on the right side of obnoxious to be enjoyable. Yes, and a lot of people would say that line between obnoxious and enjoyable is quite a fucking thin one. And many people would say that I'm on the wrong side of it. So I do know what you're talking about. For me, it's on the other side. It's like, do I like, no, nah, this is just hateful nonsense. <laughs> Um, but I like the video. Do you know what I mean? But as soon as I seen the video, I couldn't stop singing Mustard the whole day. So, very cross. <laughs> really? So that you've brought this in. Like uh, this is the first time we've had someone bring like talk about a song where they've gone. I actually don't like it, but it is legitimately stuck in my head and I can't get it out. Oh, I thought that was. I mean, it's usually a song that you don't like. The I for for months before that, I had that fucking bullshit blue blue scar by George Ezra. That one, you better throw a party oh, yeah. on the day I fucking write it, will mate. Unbelievable. <laughs> it or I throw a party when they stop playing that fucking song on the radio. I'll be sad when you die, boss. But um, yeah, I, I, it's usually songs that I don't like that get stuck in my head. No, maybe. Well, I, 
I've not found that to be honest. But then I, I've got a thing. Where I think, well, if it gets stuck in your head, and the purpose of it is to get stuck in your head, I kind of think it's doing something right somewhere. Do you know what I mean? Yes, like chemical warfare. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe, yeah. maybe, maybe I'm just very easy. I mean, it, it gets results. Yeah. You can't, you can't say better than that. Does the job. Yeah. What did you think of this song, Sam? Uh, to be honest, I'm still undecided. I suppose you know I, it is undeniably obscenely catchy it, it is stuck in my head it has been um since i first listened to it yesterday and it's like oh no this is going to be irritatingly there for so long but i wonder if because i can recall so much of it so instantaneously maybe i do really really like it and maybe it's going to be some sort of stockholm syndrome sort of case where i grow to love it and it ends up being my favorite song of the 2020s who knows but um yeah, I really like the kind of weird, the plucked bass that kind of underpins this whole weird disco feel of it. And to be honest, vocally, I really, really like the swivel-eyed weirdness of it. It, it felt to me like it was somewhere between um, Oriel Poppins from Cocaine Piss and uh, Russell Mail from Sparks. It was just bizarre, kind of yelping, weird, as I say, bug-eyed lunacy. Um, do I, I don't know if I like it, but I, I, yeah, I don't think I can answer that. I'm, I'm bewildered by this one. Well, it's Sparks and Cocaine Piss. You've, you've named two things there, which I personally like quite a lot. So maybe it's no surprise. I I found this to be a bizarro but enjoyable sort of... Would we call it novelty? Is novelty fair, Jamie? Would you say it's a kind of novelty song? Or is it just what they sound like? Uh, yeah, that's a shame, isn't it? I think uh, it would be unfair because, again, that's a, that's a criticism that's been levelled against me that, you know, stuff I've been doing was a novelty or in my band, you know, Ruben are a novelty band, but we weren't. So, yeah, although I would, before you made that point, have been tempted to say this is a novelty, that I think that's deeply unfair, probably. So it sounds like a novelty, but is it, question mark? Mm, I think just sounding like... I mean, I haven't heard anything else they've done. I literally put this on. I did look at the artwork and I looked at pictures of them and I thought, well, they're not, you know, they're not, they, they don't look like, they're, they're not the Arctic monkeys, are they? They're not sort of yeah, like right. straight laced looking. They look like they want to be weird. And I quite like people who... Yeah, they, wanting they to want be, to be weird is good. Yeah, I, 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 I didn't mind this. I feel like I like this the most out of all three of us, to be honest. I thought it was all right. Yeah. Wow. I like you the most out of all three of us. <laughs> yeah, well, there you don't, go. Don't tell Sam. <laughs> all right. Oh, you'll right, get Sam. no arguments from me, man. No, okay, yeah, good. <laughs> good <cool>. Yes, <laughs> that is the correct thing to say. Anyway, um, so there you go. Uh, yeah, give it a listen. I'd be interested in you listening mm. at home. Let us know what you think of Mustard by Chewy She. Do go and listen to it, because it's not like the sort of thing that we would normally talk about. But Well, maybe we would. I don't know. Um Sam, you picked. Oh, this is a. I mean, this is a great song. I, I would have probably had this. Mate, I listen to this song quite a lot. Mm. But go on, tell people what you've been listening to this week. Uh, so I've been listening to the second single from um, a flock of seagulls debut, eponymous debut album. Uh, it's Iran brackets so far away. Um, this is one of those songs. Um, when we d we talked about Ultra by Depeche Mode a fair few months ago, and I feel like this song in particular, not necessarily Flock of Seagulls as a band in their entirety, this is a song that I think has just always been in my life. I don't remember when I first heard it, but I've always known it kind of thing. Um, and it's just got such a satisfying drive to it. I love the echo on the guitars. It, just, it feels so achingly of its time, but quite a warm nostalgia for, well, 12 years before I was even born. I just absolutely love it. And to be honest, the reason I ended up picking it this week was, um, so last week, an article of yours, Steve, went up, which was ranking the Killing Joke albums from Best to Worst. 
So I ended up listening to the Davy Killing Joke album and I was like, yeah, brilliant. And then I just got into this sort of like dark hole of like really aggressive nihilistic music. So I thought, need an antidote. I ended up just choosing this one. Um, and I forgot how brilliant it is because it's been a fair few years since I've listened to it because it is one of those sort of always in the deepest recesses of my mind. You know, you can recall every single moment of it. And also, uh, probably my favourite song about being abducted by aliens, even more so than Rosetta Stoned by Tool. Wow. Yeah. That's a bit... It's a big it's a genre bold of things. claim, yeah. Surprisingly yeah. big genre of things. Um, Jamie, you are a big fan of 80s pop music. I would be very shocked if you didn't like this song a lot. I thought I thought it was all right. I, I've never really heard um, uh, Flock of Seagulls. I have to say, I haven't really um, uh, been introduced to it. In fact, I couldn't name a single song they've done apart from oh. I Ram, which is quite shocking. Mate, if, um, wish, wishing if I had a photograph of you, that's my personal favourite. Space Age Love Songs. How does that go? If I had, you know, if I had a photograph of you, no, something I, to remind me. Do you know that song? No, but now, now when I hear it, it won't be as good as your version. <laughs> it, well, mate, it fucking will. Trust me, that was a, <laughs> I, that was a rank I had a mate. version. I had a mate when I was a teenager who used to get all these new brilliant albums and he'd be like, oh, you got to hear this album. It's great. It goes like this. And it was never as good as his impression. He wrecked loads of bands for me. No, I thought it's pretty cool. I, I, I'd give it some more listen. I got very heavily into uh, the Human League a couple of months ago. Oh, okay. And I only just climbed out of that hole. And so that gave, it gave me a similar tingle. But again, I'd have to mine it further and, uh, and have a listen. Yeah, I mean, it's all the things that I like. Lots of sore waves, you know? Yeah. I, I, I love this song. Number one hit in Australia. Yeah. You knew that. Yeah, I saw that it only got to number one in Australia, uh, where it, uh, well, it went gold there, so it sold 50,000 copies. I was surprised it didn't even break the top 40 in the UK singles chart when I was looking into it. It peaked at number 43, which really surprises me because well, it's, it's such a banger. It's about 20 minutes long. It's, it's about five minutes. Two minutes till they start singing in it. God, bloody hell. I've got yeah, stuff to do. But well, you're listening to the full album version. There is a radio edit, of course. Oh, that's my so, mistake. Yes. Mm. Yes, and I, I mean I don't know you want you want to go and watch the video as well because Flock the Seagull obviously very famous haircuts yes <laughs> yeah striking um very famous hair very silly silly haircuts but um the video is like they've it's just a sort of it's a couple of mirrors and then they've put sort of uh, not cling film what's the other one that you wrap your turkey in tin foil the, tin foil tin foil of course. Um, tinfoil all over the walls and it's just them playing in the middle and, a, and someone with a camera sort of w wandering around them. It's a really, really simple video and now, I mean, I suppose at the time it would have looked amazing in 1982 and now it looks completely ridiculous and rubbish. Oh. But it's a fucking banger and that made they got I've big got in America. Well, right. there you go. I mean, we are talking about the pioneering age of music videos, aren't we? So every time yeah. someone's like, how about there was a red war? It was like, wow, groundbreaking <laughs> stuff. So, yeah. you know, I've got a soft spot for that period of culture. Yeah, it was amazing. I mean, you know, they, they this was like, they got the number nine in the US. It did, yeah, on the Hot 100. Big, it's big like deal bloody in hell. the US. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm surprised wow. because it does, I suppose it doesn't feel quintessentially British, but it is so... I think it's really obvious just to listen to it that it is from the 1980s British synth-pop boom, really. It, possibly even preceding a little bit of it. But um, yeah, yeah, it's like... Yeah, it, it really surprised me that it did better over there than it did over here. And it's only gone they silver here as a single. What? Like, I was really surprised. They, I thought this would be at least... Like at least, the foil. Yeah, like the foil in the video, absolutely. They saw it coming. Mm. Yeah. yeah. 
I mean, that's part of that whole sort of second British invasion. You mentioned the Human League. A flock of seagulls got big over there. Thompson twins, Duran Duran. Simple Minds went over and smashed it, didn't they? Um, I guess Eurythmics were really massive in the year. Like they, the US, they loved all that. Adamant. We had a little period in the 80s where Britain and all these bands, we just actually probably looked for once looked a bit cooler than our american counterparts and that's quite yeah, rare very cool. mm. Mm. which is interesting because then if we talk about the next earworm carter mm. i think that's i think that's the flip effect i i feel like we had all this cool grunge going on in the early 90s and these bands from america were amazing and then the british version of it was Carter. <laughs> it was. Come on, try, <laughs> must do, must try harder. Well, <laughs> all right, let's talk. Carter, Sheriff Fat Man is what I've brought in, right? Um, 4th of December, 1989, this came out. This is the first major hit from Jim Bob and Fruit Bat, a.k.a. Carter, the Unstoppable Sex Machine. The best ever Glastonbury high, uh, headliners. Ooh, um, harsh, harsh on Basement Jacks. Harsh on Basement Jacks. Taken from yeah, their debut album, 101 Damnations. This was number 23 it got to in the UK singles chart. And it's sort of become something of an anthem for them. And I just thought, I listened to it and I thought, Carter are, I mean, Jamie, I'm sure we'll get into your problems with Carter <laughs> in a second. But for me, to pose the case for the defence, there is something sort of clunky and sort of, they're like something that would have got formed on, uh, why don't you or something? Do you know what I mean? Like, like if a band formed on Why Don't You in 1989, <laughs> yeah, they'd be yeah. sort of stuck together with sellotape and bits of cardboard. And you know, they've got a drum machine, two blokes, it was just two scruffy oiks, very, very British. And the the whole thing about you know writing a song about slum landlords mm. in 1989, which as the cost of living crisis increases here in Britain. Still, you know, more relevant maybe than it's ever been, the lyrics to this song. And I think lyrically, like some of it is genuinely quite funny, I think. I think that moving up on second place behind Nicholas Van Watts' face, <laughs> six foot four and a hundred tons, the undisputed king of the slums, more aliases than Klaus Barbie, the master butcher of Leon C, just about to take the stage, the one that only hold the front page. Fat man's got on that. I think that's, I think that is a, like a brilliant line it's really catchy it's really funny it's a good thing to write a song about i i i i bang into this i love it uh shall i provide some middle ground before i feel like jamie um absolutely destroys <laughs> yeah, your your relationship with carter um i i'd not heard this before i've never really listened to carter usm like i i've met i may have heard some of their songs but they're not a band i've ever sat down to intentionally listen to despite knowing how much you love them. It was probably because of how much I know you like them, Steve, that I won't listen to them. Um, broadly, I actually really like this. I thought he was daft as a brush, so, so kind of knowingly, smirkingly stupid. But I did really like it. And I like that most of the kind of musical refrain almost sounds like an umpire band going absolutely ballistic. Like when it kicks in with a kind of brass section, it's like, yeah, it's like, I can imagine they were in Lederhosen, or they're probably on a holiday in Berlin, looking at people in Lederhosen Sam, going, oh dear. Um, yes. When you say brass section, you mean the brass setting yeah, yeah, yeah. on a Casio keyboard played with one finger, Yeah, right? absolutely, yeah. But I kind of liked how knowingly shit it was. And I, I'm always going to be one for a song that's taking the piss, or not even taking the piss, but being horrible about slum landlords. Uh, and also, I suppose, my, well, my only other note is... Um, Jim Bob sounds like a sneery version of Neil Tennant from Pet Shop Boys, so he's won me over there. 
Jamie, um, <laughs> go on. Unload. Let me know. Let me know what's what's. Well, what's no, the but thing? I feel I feel like maybe I've set this up as if I'm going to absolutely eviscerate um, the song. I, that's not not at all. I mean, I I can't argue that the lyric is you're right, very clever, very good. But there's no song behind it, and and that's my problem with people. You, I feel the same way about the Manix, who were the same. They came at the same time. I've always been frightened of people that write lyrics. Do you know what I mean? People that, and I've met trying to form my bands. I've met so many people who've got a notepad or a journal in which they write <laughs> lyrics, and you're yeah, like, yeah. oh mate, you just run ten miles in the opposite direction, because they never. For me, you've got to write the song first, and then you put you fit words into it. And and I think Carter is a great example, the Manics more so, of people that have written the lyrics first, and then thought, well, let's just have some stuff underneath. And that's not how you write a song. That's not how you write a memorable song, as far as I'm concerned. My my general beef with, um, I mean, I've met both Jim Bob and Fruit Bat. I've played shows with them separately. Very nice fellas. Um, and I have actually a strong connection to that sort of early 90s British scene, which I'm about to tear down. You know, the Wonder Stuff, um, the uh, Pop Will Eat Itself, Carter, to an extent, Mega City 4, who are my very close friends. Mm. But I, I just feel I just feel it's weird that once you've heard what's going on in Seattle, with this like raw, you know, and very deep, very thick sound, full of passion and energy... And then your answer to it is this kind of oddly anemic tambourine drum machine, you know, no, not even a distortion on the guitar type thing. And two fellas, one of them's got a megaphone jumping about on stage with half a head of dreadlocks. Do you know what I mean? All these bands, the crust punk thing, yeah, sort yeah. of. And I've just been through the absolute nadir of that on Top of the Pops, watching these repeats, because Top of the Pops is wall-to-wall crust punk. It's it's Ned's Dina Atomic Carroll, Dustin, yeah. <laughs> Ned's who I played a show with, that whole scene, and it's difficult for me because some of my very close friends were part of that scene, but I just think, what were you doing if your role model was Nirvana and Soundgarden and all that's happening in the US, and this is your version? It just doesn't have any um, balls as far musically. I'm sure the lyrics are very clever, but as songs, which is what I care about most and first. It just—it sounds very anemic. Anemic is the is the word I would say to use to describe it. Well, I think it's one of those things that I mean, and I think like I would say Brit rock for a bit. The te- your televisions and reefs and wild arts kind of post grunge almost fell into this a little bit prior. To, there's, you know, we you have these things that happen, and we had like you know obviously glam and thrash, and then it became and then that died and grunge happened, and then when grunge died, new metal or you know Britpop or whatever happened but you have these little spaces in between where you're kind of scrabbling around for what the next thing is going to be and we think this is 1989 it's the same year that Bleach came out so it's not like Nirvana and particularly or Mudhoney or Tad or any of these bands were really really big deals at this point but I think what Carter do is it's su- it's super British do you know what I mean like you say it's super crusty like the I think it's when indie, it's like, it's when people who liked the Smiths started dropping acid or whatever and, <laughs> and go into the Hacienda. And some of them formed New Order or the Happy Mondays. And then some of them just went to free parties and formed Carter or Pop Will Eat Itself and that sort of thing. So I think it's uh, it's an interesting little period in that's kind of, 
I guess post like while the rave culture thing is sort of still bubbling under and while grunge is sort of bubbling under the alternative to that for a little tiny split second you think like you mentioned the wonder stuff I mean they headline Reading Carter headline Glastonbury it's mad to think now when you look at Glastonbury wow. that Carter headlined the pyramid stage at Glastonbury isn't that because it's all we had mate thing? well yeah it's making, just... making the best of a bad job in it exactly yeah you know um and and I think that like you know that they're they're a band that i look back on that i remember hearing them probably when nirvana and stuff were big i remember getting 30 something which came out in 91 um and and i really liked it because the first song it sounds like the ultimate warriors uh entrance music so i, I now you're talking that. yeah yes i like i would suggest that be quite a good starting point for you jamie but um but i remember liking it but also thinking i, I just don't know what this is i just because i was you know you either like sort of blur and swayed or you liked Nirvana and Foo Fighters and all that kind of stuff. But then there was this other thing where I was just like, well, I don't really know what this is. And I think they're very, I think you're probably right. They're not great songwriters, but there's something sort of ramshackle and charming about them as a band. And when you listen, you know, 30 something, which we have spoken about before, it's got some songs about alcoholism and consumerism and how people are treated when they join the army and all these kind of things that, and they're like lyrically really really good and i know what you mean about people who start with the lyrics and then go afterwards but i don't know i think yeah they're not amazing songwriters but i just find them that they're they're in britain we do like to celebrate kind of weird little curios and i think carter are a really cool little curio that never really should have got as big as they got or been as 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 revered as they got they never should have headlined glastonbury for fuck's sake that is insane oh, i'm happy they did lord love but yeah but you got yeah. kind of got to go fucking fair play to him that happened yeah, and, fair play. and it was never gonna be like i mean it's funny because i i wrote a piece about them headlining glastonbury for louder a couple of months ago and then managed and i said you know well they had the headline glastonbury they had a couple of hits they rugby tackled Philip Schofield live on the Smash Hits poll with his party live on telly. And then they went away. And, you know, God love this weird little band that we've all forgotten about. And this guy went, thanks for writing it. Their manager went, thanks for writing this. But um, we've actually been releasing albums ever since. And I think it's quite harsh of you. It's like, fucking hell, mate. Oh, no, my God. no one's written about this band for about 25 years. And you're having a go Take at me. Take the compliment, <laughs> Yeah, it was mental. But yeah, I, I, got, so I, I got a lot of love from it. And I do... I do like this song, but I can also see that the criticisms that you're bringing up are correct. I mean, in comparison with like, you know, Soundgarden, of course you're going to pick Soundgarden, obviously, obviously. Maybe that's maybe that's unfair. Oh, I don't think it's unfair. I mean, I think you know, if you did hear those things from Seattle, and you also heard this. And you thought, well, I've got 15 quid to buy a CD with. <laughs> yeah, that's the uh, bottom line, boss. Yeah, I'm getting bad, yeah, yeah. mate. I'm getting bad, yeah. mate, the finger, right? Yeah. Of course yeah. you are. Yeah. Anyway, um, but I, I will always stick up for Carter a little bit, a little tiny bit. Um, go and listen to it. Go and listen to Sheriff Fat Man, see what you think. Um, before we get into the music we're going to be talking about, uh, this is sad. So this happened yesterday evening, just before we were going to record. But... Um, we should say R.I.P. to Christine McVie of Fleetwood Mac, who passed away yesterday as we record at the age of 79. Um, Pour one out. Yeah. I mean, what a... Th- this is a big one. You know, this is a this is a big one. Fleetwood Mac are obviously a huge band and one of the most 
sort of integral important bands i think for anyone who starts getting into guitar music if you certainly if you're around my age then you know like my mum and dad would always be like Fleetwood Mac Fleetwood Mac Fleetwood Mac Rumours is a huge record and they're I mean the stories of that period when they were recording that album obviously legendary and um Christian McVie is a huge huge part of that band um Jamie you we spoke a little bit just before we started recording but you said how much you enjoy Rumours as a record as I think most people do yeah, it was one of those things where I'm always a little bit leery of um, things that everyone likes. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm. uh, and 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 therefore I'm relieved and I end up liking it as well. I was frightened to read uh, Dan Brown's The Da Vinci Code just because everyone else said it was brilliant. I was like, come on, mate. And then I read it. I was like, <laughs> oh my god, couldn't do anything else for about two days. I'm a slow reader. Um, so yeah, so when I finally got around to Rumours and discovered it was just as good as everyone said it was, that was a great relief. And also. Um, What's the one? Is it Night Talk? It's the like from the eighties. The eighties one, yeah. Mm. What's it called? That record? Uh, Night Time. Night Time. That's is that uh, right? With the, were you looking out for love? Yeah. That one. Yeah. yeah. I love that one too. Uh, but the, but those are the only two records that I know, you know, very well, and they're, they're both classics. Yeah. And I couldn't even tell you which ones that Christine wrote, uh, to my shame. But uh, yeah, we you know we've lost a, a unique voice yeah for 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 real like it's um it's it's a member of one of the one of the the you know the the most well-known definitive bands from the the 70s you know and um that's always going to be a massive thing sam are you a are you a fleet of mac fan at all i would say i'm a very fair weather fan in that yeah i know rumors like everyone does as we've established um and then uh, there are so many singles here there and everywhere that i have heard that i absolutely uh love whenever they come on but they're not a band i ever really think to sort of sit down and listen to uh of my own volition for pleasure or anything like that but i mean they're obviously brilliant and christy mcvee was clearly an incredibly gifted songwriter i mean i saw some of the song credits that you know have been attributed to, to her i mean she, you know she wrote everywhere which is such a fucking beautiful song and it's like mm. yeah i feel like they're a band i should investigate more and it's uh it's a shame that it's taken one of their key members to pass away for me to really realize that um yeah feels like this is just happening all the time though doesn't it it really does mm. you know i mean we say it literally i feel like a fucking broken record but like this um this is going to happen so much <laughs> you know yeah. like it's going to be something we will probably be doing every other week i reckon because there are so many people who were so instrumental in the sort of the music that we listen to who are getting to that age it's it's a bit scary it's a bit but scary. on the flip on the flip, all the time there's new artists coming out making new music who will go on to be uh, legends just as big, you know. Yeah. So it, it, it's on both sides. Yeah, we are losing a lot of uh, incredible people. You know, Bowie went a few years ago. I'm still not over that. Mm -hmm. But but new people are coming up all the time. Yeah, So, uh, you know, it's whatever this gesture is, uh, people listening on a podcast. <laughs> yeah, I'm it's doing a, sort of it's my, a seesaw. my hands up on It's a seesaw. It's a seesaw is what it is. Yeah, no, you're right. You're quite right. It is, you know, we should, um, we should uh, obviously celebrate the people coming through as much as we uh, mourn the loss of great people like Christine McVeigh. But it is, it is when you're so used to that, like, you know, Lemmy, well, I remember when like Lemmy died, you mm. just thought, well, Lemmy can't die. Yeah. yeah. Mm, he did. Um, 
it's not news really but anyway uh yeah <laughs> headline lemmy's dead fine. sorry sorry yeah, if this sorry news to you everyone. yeah um metallica though speaking of le- legendary characters mm. metallica are going to release a new record wow which in 2023 they've announced that it's going to be called 72 seasons coming out on the 14th of april next year don't usually do kind of album releasey things but they released a new song as well called lux interna et- or eterna i think eterna, uh, yeah. which you i should, listened you should to really have a yeah. basic grasp of latin steve if you're going to talk about metallica yeah, come on yeah. mate bloody hell <laughs> yeah if we're going to present a, a podcast about music i should <laughs> certainly have a basic grasp of latin you're quite right yes. um uh i listened to lux eterna i think you guys probably did too right oh yeah, yeah. oh yeah yeah what are we saying um i if someone told me that this was a song that they'd covered from a ba- a new wave of british heavy metal band that lars discovered on his travels in the sort of late 70s and bought one seven inch of i wouldn't have been surprised i like it it's it's got the kind of it does have that ramshackle feel of their early stuff basically it does sound a bit kill them all um i think it, it it sounds to me like it could have fit on garage inc um apart from the fact that they all obviously sound about 20 years older than that but uh yeah, I think it's a good song. I, it's better than I thought uh, an announcement single for a new Metallica album in the 2020s had any right to be. There's no way Lars is keeping up that pace when they play it live, though. And I, I'm <laughs> I'm not one of these people who's like, oh, Lars has always been shit, mate. Go and listen to Dyer's Eve. He fucking kills it. The whole of Justice for All, he's brilliant. He has been a bit slack recently. He's getting a bit stock. Um, but yeah, I, I like it. Uh, I'm not sure I need a 77-minute album from Metallica in 2023 wow. but uh i'm not going to complain it's metallica and i've already bought tickets for me and my dad to go and see him next year so that's good wow jamie have you got anything to say about this song sam i want to congratulate you on your uh some kind of monster reference there yes. very nice i appreciate <laughs> a great that. great film and, and mm. also um that your uh invocation of justice because uh, one of the things that struck me about this track was how much it sounded like justice i.e there's no bass yeah there, right? <laughs> absolutely yeah yeah so um so yeah, I mean, on the face of it, it's fucking brilliant, isn't it? It's like full throttle. It sounds excellent. James sounds amazing singing, you know, and it is very Killer mm. which is my favourite Metallica records. So it's a brilliant sounding track by a group of musicians that have been going for so long, and you'd be forgiven for thinking maybe they're past it. Are they ever going to make a record that sounds this vital again? And for me, that is the problem, because. It doesn't sound honest to me. It doesn't sound real to me. Everything they've put out since Death Magnetic, including Death Magnetic, sounds to me like an apology for St. Anger Mm. and, uh, to some extent, the Load Records, which I loved. Um, And it, it it just feels like the same way that Star Wars, you know, disastrously decided to pander to the fans with that last movie. Instead of making bold strikes away from, you know, what they used to do, they listened to the wailing uh, men children and were like, all right, we'll have this rubbish that's a bit like the old days. And that was even worse. And I think Metallica are doing the same thing. They're just doing, right, well, let's just do some fast kind of thrash stuff because that's what people in here, instead of it being what they want to do. So although I do like it, I sort of distrust it because I'm supposed to like it. Does that make any kind of sense? Yeah, that, that makes sense to me. And I completely agree that it is. Uh, Metallica have been retreating back to safe ground for 
well, yeah, as you say, since Death Magnetic. So, I mean, what, 14 yeah. years of new music and mm. it all kind of sounds like a bit of a rehash of stuff they've done before. I mean, even like Hardwired to Self-Destruct. My favourite moments on that were when it was aping load, but it's still going back to something they've done before. And I don't know, I mean, maybe that is something they want to do, but I, I think the Star Wars point is very spot on, actually. And this is kind of mm. <laughs> not quite as bad as somehow Palpatine returned, but it is trying to cater to people who surely know that they could just go and listen to those old albums anyway but yeah but yeah. I, bottom line is i'm happy with it i'm not mad excited about the album but i know i'm going to be because it's metallica and i just can't help myself it it's quite clean isn't it for all these sort of comparisons with and justice for all and kill em all and stuff i felt like it was quite a quite a kind of shiny sound and 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 i don't know that the the fast thrashy stuff really lends itself to that kind of production it is kind of super mm. state-of-the-art very very clean sounding production and i i thought it was all right i mean it's one of those i think that when when i heard hardwired the first song from hardwired self-destruct mm. I, I actually don't mind hardwired self-destruct i think it's got some pretty good songs in it i think moths of flames really good i really like Am I e Am I savage? Sa am I savage? Yeah, 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 fuck me. Can't get the name of anything right anymore. But um, <laughs> am I savage? I think I thought was really good as well. Even though, yeah, like you say, that is a bit more like something from Load. I mean, it's now now but, that we're dead is the one for me that is the Load one that I think is superb on that album. But again, I've I've already got Load and Reload. So yeah, and but every time I hear a new song, the first new song from a Metallica album. I'm always a bit like, oh, well, yeah, it is good, but it's not creeping death or whatever, which is absurd. It's an absurd thing. To, I'm aware that that is a stupid thing to do, but I kind of do it. And then the album comes out and I go, oh, well, in the context of the album, actually, I, I don't mind it now. So I kind of feel like I might do that mm. about Lux Eterna. I, I'm not super, super duper excited with it at the moment, because even though it is, like you say, on the surface, everything about it feels it's fast and thrashy and James sounds good and it's very aggressive and it's a sort of, you can imagine 80,000 people pumping their fists along to it at a festival in the summer and that will sound great. But it's still, it didn't, yeah, I'm, I'm sort of with you, Jamie. I think that it doesn't actually do anything to me. Mm. I just look at it, it and go, oh soul. yeah, it's good that, but I, I, I can see how that's good, but I don't really, I don't really care. But you yeah. know, I guess we'll see. I, I mean, should, any of us really be excited for a new Metallica album in 2023? No. Should we be be excited about that? I don't really think we... I'm, I'm more excited about the fact that they're touring than releasing a new album. The new album is almost kind of the vehicle to get the tour on the road, isn't it? So. Oh, you're absolutely right. No, that's absolutely been the business model for the last 20 yeah, years. Yeah, yeah. That's what this is. This is an, an advert for the tour, which is, you know, mm. Metallica aren't a band anymore. They're a corporation. They need to feed the machine. And sadly, that's where we are. So, uh, yeah, you hit the nail on the head, buddy. Yeah, I think that's what it is. Um, but hey, you know, we'll we'll be talking about it when it comes out, and I'm sure there'll be bloody good live because those shows, every you know, yeah, I, I can't yet to wait. see a disappointing Metallica show. I have to say, so you know, that's good. Um, here's something that I wanted to talk about. I don't know how. I mean, I know Sam, you haven't really been watching the World Cup. Jamie, have you been watching the World Cup? Do you care about that at all? You have I? Care, fuck. I mean, if I could <laughs> yeah. care less about football, all this bollocks in Qatar. No, I haven't. No. No, so you wouldn't have seen Chesney Hawks randomly rocking up on the England Wells game. Excuse me, do you know about this? What? No. Chesney Hawks halftime 
at the England-Wales game a couple of days ago, who would walk onto the pitch at halftime than none other than Chesney Hawks and play his big his big hit? Uh, you are joking. I'm a man, not a boy. Obviously, the big hit. No. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he played the one and only. Um, and then took credit. He said it was nil-nil at halftime. Uh, he tweeted this. First half, nil-nil. Halftime. Hashtag Chesney effect. Full-time, three-nil. Boom. That's what he put. <laughs> <laughs> and then he put hashtag Chesney effect, hashtag Chesney Hawks, hashtag TikTok. So, oh boy. so Chesney Hawks is back. He's back. Someone's got a greatest hit coming out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Another greatest one. Greatest hit. Yes. Of Chesney. He's brought his song with him. Um, I, I, it, it, I love this because it's the most fucking random thing ever. Like it's just like, you could have given me you could tell somebody came out and performed a song during the World Cup in Qatar between England and Wales the other day who do you think it was you could have given me 500 guesses and yeah. it, it wouldn't have been Chesney Hawks even if they'd have said the song was Chesney Hawks is the one and only you still wouldn't have guessed Chesney Hawks would you <laughs> can't, you can't, can't believe Robbie Williams is going to cover the one and only <laughs> yeah, exactly. Chesney right. Hawks that'd be sick yeah that'd be mad I mean um Presumably you two haven't seen this because no. you haven't been watching the football. No. But, Ch- I mean, Chesney Hawks is a key figure for me. He, he's one of the people... That song is one of the reasons that I went into rock and roll. I just thought it was absolutely incredible. I thought Chesney was amazing. It's a great song. And it actually, we played a gig with them. Ruben played a gig with uh, Chesney. Well, I, I'm stretching the truth there. We were both playing some uh, university uni on the same night. We were in the little shitty dive venue and they were in the big, like, remember the... 90s night mm. over in the big hall and I ran as soon as we finished our set I ran to catch the end of Chesney's set and he'd done the one and only it was brilliant did he say I'm sorry about the shit band playing in the other room in front of you and broke your heart <laughs> no he went not where we were there I went to his dressing room in fact I snuck into his dressing room before he played and stole one of his Doritos so there you go Chesney <laughs> if you're wondering why there weren't exactly a hundred Doritos that's because of your boy Lemon. <laughs> well, he's had to t- he's he's had to take the Qatari money, Jamie, because he's been thieving his Dorito. He's got a big Dorito. Uh, yum habit. yum. Yeah. Cool original, just like me. Yeah. Um, you weren't even born when this came out. This song, were you, Sam? Are you, it, does the one only by Chesney Hawks? Does it resonate to a younger crowd? You being the younger crowd. Uh, I mean, I don't know if it does to people now. Obviously, I heard it when I was about two. Um, I I mm. love the song because it's just great bombastic pop rock isn't it it's it's a brilliant song i don't think i've ever thought about chesney hawks outside of the context of listening to that song though so yeah as you say it's a bizarre one it's weird that he would turn up um i guess it just proves though that football is indeed the best sport in the world i mean you know the super bowl gets kendrick and the world cup gets chesney hawks so that's good wow yeah yeah shame that isn't it? yes it is yeah, a shame, shame. Uh, we were going to do you ma- find the best sport in the world is darts, mate. Yeah, to be fair, oh, I love the, I love the darts. Yeah, fucking love the darts. I like the sketch cl- in not the nine o'clock news where they're just drinking instead of actually playing darts. That's a good with one. the beer. Yeah, yeah, very yeah, good, very good. Yeah, it's yeah. good. That. Yeah, it's, good. The, it's great. The darts is a, a hell of a night out. It's like wrestling, but you reckon you go? Oh, I could probably do. <laughs> <laughs> I, I forgot about wrestling. I'm changing my vote. Sorry. Yeah, wrestling's up there, isn't it? Um. I was going to do Matty Healy watch. He got off with a man on stage and people lost their shit. We're always, we're interested in it. Do you like the 90s? You got an opinion on the 1975 and their uh, mercurial front man, Jamie? 
I don't know anything about him. Okay, fine. Well, he's just uh, he's a he's a bit of a a bit of a scamp, basically. He slagged off Metallica. <laughs> oh. He ate some meat on stage. He ate some raw meat, and uh, he's been getting fans up every night and and sort of getting off with them. And the bloke put his they phone got up. Any saying, songs have they? They've got lots of songs, mm. have they? Okay, yeah. all right. Yeah, they've got they they are they are very good. I think they're very good. Yeah, You're into them as well, aren't you? Sam? Yeah, I think that's been the revelation of 2022 is that the 1975 are actually good. They're not just some sort of ephemeral bunch of wankers who've kind of done quite well for themselves. They actually write really good music. Their new album's really good. It okay. might might be worth a listen for yourself. Yeah, I'll give it a go. I think I know the drum tick. Yeah. I think you'd be into in. it. I think you'd be into okay. it. It's got a bit of, I mean, Tears for Fears sort of thing going on uh, on talking. the recent. Uh, they're very good, but but unfortunately, um, Matthew is um, quite the show off. No. Uh, but anyway, he got a man up on stage, and the man tweeted about it. A lot of people going, "Oh, well, why are you doing?" And it was a bit get stop getting off with everyone all the time. So there's a bit of a kind of hoo ha on Twitter. So I thought I'd, uh, I'd bring it up, but. Um, we don't really have time. So forget <laughs> That's it. That's the anyway, end of Matty like, Healy Watch. <laughs> Matty Healy Watch. Tune in next week. Uh, before we get into your album picks, Jamie, we wanted to talk about the new album from Stormzy. This is what I mean. So third full-length album from the big star of UK grime. Well, that doesn't really feel like he's a grime artist at this point. So it's a follow-up to 2019's Heaviest Ahead. Stormzy, of course, is massive. You weren't that keen on this, Jay. You not you, you you into Stormzy at all? You're not bothered in any way. Well, no, that's why I di- I didn't um, want to um, uh, inflict my opinion on the public because this is so far out of my wheelhouse. I'd hate to like you know listen to it completely uneducated and then say a bunch of stuff about yeah I like the words whatever when I don't I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. So I'm stepping out of this part of the convo in deference to you know undoubtedly a very talented artist who's made a big difference in the in the uk scene you know props to him but i'm i'm just completely uh untutored well we'll get through this really quickly but i thought it's such a massive album that i just want to talk about it quickly mm. i mean i so i saw stormzy at the brits in 2018 and i went a bit mad and said something a bit mental um and i said oh grime, grime is dead because what he did was this big kind of gospel song kind of very with a lot of religious imagery in it and i thought well grime this kind of very very aggressive street music and it now feels a bit safe like there's a woman next to me who i worked with at the time who's in her sort of late 50s and she's like oh i love stormzy i thought once you're getting those type of people listening to you uh, then i think the kind of the jig is up a little bit do you know what i mean is it being a kind of a vital underground sound and when you know like a few weeks ago sam you and i were talking about temper tea mm. And the, the appeal of something like Temper T for me is just how aggro it was. And I think, obviously, when you look at what Storms has gone on to do, for me to go, grime is dead, was obviously wrong. But I think, you know, this that as a statement, I think is wrong. But I think the sentiment of was sort of what I was aiming for was kind of right. Because when you look at Stormzy, we spoke about Dave before, Gets album that came out last year. I know Loyal Carna is not really the same thing, but we reviewed Loyal Carna. Mm. All you know, something that used to be that kind of that temper tea aggro thing that we spoke about and really really liked has been replaced with something broader, more measured, and you know, dare I say it, more kind of palatable to a mainstream ear. And all of those artists have moved way more into that kind of territory. And I think that music being a bit more reserved and broader it sort of reached a point 
for me where um i'm gonna say this is almost like post grime do you know what i mean yeah i mean i i think i do yeah because it obviously much like with dave you've got these artists who have come up in as you say a very sort of confrontational and aggressive musical style and and now it's almost at the kind of opposite end while it still retains the identity through the lyricism of it so i mean i think the thing the thing that i love most about this album um is the Stormzy's lyrics, you know, they're very sort of kitchen sink realism, but with a poetic flourish going through. And I think he has, does a really good job of very nakedly and barely stating uh, the sort of truth of his surroundings and his inner monologues and stuff like that. I think there's some really, really interesting lyrical passages on this. Musically, however, it is a world away from grime. Um, and I mean, to be honest, the majority of this album, I think it really sort of sits in one very, very slight register. It's definitely taken influence from gospel um as you were saying about his you know brit's performance i think he's definitely leaned into that and the kind of spiritual elements of it as well um i mean there's the track holy spirit for example where he really sort of i suppose i don't know almost confronts his faith or kind of examines his relationship with his christianity and i think it's really really interesting it's really impressive but i don't know how much i enjoyed listening to the album i mean bar the title track it does all sit in this very kind of quite woozy quite hazy register and by by the end of it i was starting to realize that actually i think stormzy's lyrics are fantastic i didn't really i didn't really feel taken by his performance i feel like a lot of the performing that he does on this is assuming that being quiet makes you sound more emotional and so it is on the track on the title track this is what i mean when he does move from these kind of softly spoken passages to a slightly more muscular delivery i get more impact from that one song than i do from the rest of the entire album from him and particularly when you get the final track give it to the water where he's only on it for sort of the final minute i mean i think it highlights that musically the other performers that he has surrounded himself with in this kind of gospel soulful kind of afrobeat thing i think they all show that they are incredibly talented and i think he's almost while he's the vision i think as a performer on this album i think he's playing catch up a little bit ah okay i mean you only like the title track because he name checks harry styles in it surely <laughs> i must have missed that to be honest but I, yeah, I, it would yeah. definitely help obviously but yes uh, um, no, i mean i like that one because i think it goes to the most places in a condensed and kind of coherent way and his performance I think has got real range on that song whereas all the rest i think it all sits in one kind of register that i just i don't find myself massively taken with uh, yeah based on his performance i think lyrically it is a staggeringly good album it's it's the way he communicates it i just don't feel anything from it and uh, fire and water the opening track i don't need that to be like eight and a bit minutes that is far too long like the last minute of it where it changes up i think that's really cool could you have not done that three minutes ago okay all right well that's fine. I mean, I, I think that the title track is a banger. Yes. An absolute yeah, yeah, yeah. banger. And it is the only banger mm -hmm. on the record. And I can understand why I chose it to be a single. I think it's a great song. I think um, opening the album with an eight and a half minute song for a, an artist of his size and to have this very slow burning gospel inspired sort of quiet lament of a song I think it's a brave and interesting way to start the album. And I actually really liked that. That one, two, I really liked. Okay. Um, I think when you get sort of, th there's a little run of Fire Babe, the third song, which is a nice sentiment. B 
but it goes a bit too close to kind of heal the world michael jackson for me do you know what i <laughs> yeah, mean yeah, I, yeah. I think and then um please again i think is um a little bit too again a bit too naked and a bit too um syrupy and a, a baby a little bit too overly emotive mm -hmm. and then you've got some of the kind of obligatory latino salsa pop sort of love island theme ones for, <laughs> yeah, for a yeah. little bit which i didn't think that much of um but then it gets to my presence of black and i think stormzy's performance on that is brilliant he name checks jazzy b and i think there's actually a little sample of jazzy b towards the end of it it's got that mix of classic soul really really big hook it gives it a little bit more energy and my first sort of couple i've probably listened to this album about five times now first listen i was like okay this is gonna take quite a lot of concentration to to really appreciate everything on here um second listen i thought i'm not really sure about this third i enjoyed it a bit more by my kind of fifth listen which is my last one that i had i am now at a point where i think this is a very very good record I think the second half of it in particular, it's funny actually, Jamie, that you're here this week when we're doing this because what you were saying about your record and how the second half of it gets kind of darker, but the fans seem to have gone for that. That's how I feel about this. And this actually deals with quite a few of the same topics that uh, you deal with on your record. I think there are straight love songs on this record. There are, you know, records sort of examining and him thinking about his faith in a different way to how you do it on your record. But funnily enough, it's funny you to say like, I want to step out because I think this record actually, it does actually sort of go for some of the same or similar emotional beats that your record goes to, I think. Well, it's interesting you say that because having listened to yours and Sam's uh, very precise, you know, um, overview of this record, I now feel like, yeah, I could probably go and give it a go, armed as I am now with a little bit of a, a ground, uh, well, an overview, sorry, use that word again, uh, of what to expect. Yeah, I mean, you, it sounds fascinating to me, but that's why this is a good podcast, isn't it? You listen to it, you <laughs> talk about funny. music, you think, I'm going to check that out. So thank you very much. Yeah, I, I, like, I actually, um, by the time we get to, I, I would say, I got my smile back, um, bad blood. I mean, I'm not religious at all, but I think the the again the the earnestness with which he delivers holy spirit mm. for me i i really really love that and i'm somebody with no religious background really with no religious feeling at all but i actually found that to be quite a moving song because i i was like there's somebody who really means that thing and stormzy is great i think he's uh, like i think his voice is i think like you say his lyrics are fantastic there's a bit where he says again it's the um on my smile black he says um he's talking about kind of helping up dave after you know because him and dave have worked together quite a lot mm. and he says uh every hendo needs a stevie g which i think is a great line it's really reflective and again you know like when we spoke about temper tea and we were like oh it's so aggro and da 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 whereas this is a very very sweet reflective mm. um and personal sounding record and it's interesting that the day before it came out i saw that he tweeted he did a kind of handwritten note that he put on twitter where he basically sort of i mean i wouldn't say you put, like it always sort of freaks me out a bit when artists just before they drop an album do a kind of handwritten note going the album's coming out just so you know some of you aren't going to like it and and you know that might be the kind of the, the precursor to people turn around and be like oh yeah there's 
shit or whatever and you know it happens all the time yeah. like people online kicking off about it but i thought it was interesting that stormzy kind of went out of his way to go look some of you aren't going to like this record and it's not like the first time this is not the first time he's gone down this more kind of quiet reflective route no 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 i think there was plenty on the last but, album that sort of delved into this yeah territory. plenty on the, on the last album but this for me certainly feels like i don't know again like i say it's very very emotionally stripped naked and 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 very honest and very earnest and and sweet and kind of a, a, a quite a a loving record mm. and I, I mean first few listens i wasn't sure i actually think this is really really great now that's totally fair man like i i think this is a record that i am more impressed with than uh, than I find enjoyable. I think all the constituent parts are really well put together. It's just there is something about, I suppose, almost the characterization of what Stormzy is sort of inhabiting, the way he is trying to get his point across purely from a sort of sonic perspective. To me, it just sounds, I don't know, it just feels like, um, and I think this is a problem for a lot of kind of modern mainstream pop music this year. Not necessarily a problem, but it's an aesthetic choice where. I'm starting to get a bit tired of it where everything's very, very muted and very slight. And it is that kind of assumption that being quiet makes it more emotional. And it's like, I, I just think it's not quite dynamic enough for me to absolutely love it in the same way that records in a similar mould have really taken me over the last few years. I don't think it's bad, but I don't think it's for me. I mean, I think I'm much more likely to go back to Gang Signs and Prayers and Heavy as the Head than I am this one if I'm going to be reaching for Stormzy. Fair, fair. I mean, Jamie, I'm just going to ask you regarding that kind of that note you put up. Um, wh what's that like? As speaking as an artist, what is that like for you when you have released when you're you know you're on the verge of releasing something which may well be slightly polarizing, or that you yourself, you know, something you've probably you've put so much of yourself into, and you might be feeling like, or oh, are the the people that just come to me for Ruben, you know, and, and want to go, oh, Ruben, Ruben, Ruben at you, like you mentioned earlier. Is that hard to be like, look, I'm going to put this out and you might not like it. How does that actually kind of affect you? The, I think that's most of my records, you know. Uh, yeah. I put up, the uh, the point of most of my records is that some of you might not like it. And if anything, I'm frustrated that people keep on liking it. <laughs> I keep trying to you know divide my fan base my supporters and then they never do they're unshockable you know and i actually find it quite bizarre that someone would write a handwritten note saying you might not like this like have more faith in your product just put it out mate you know why do you care you're making art for you unless you're not making art for you unless you really are making art just to make the sales and you you feel like you have to coddle your supporters and apologize to them for what you've done i don't know the specifics i think um, twitter is a very bad platform in the first place and it encourages a lot of bad behavior which is maybe fed into that decision i think that's a bizarre move and just you know stand behind what you've done own it put it out there people could like it if they don't they'll buy the next one you know if you if you've done it with enough integrity they'll, they'll buy the next one they might opt out of one and hopefully they'll come back next time see what you got yeah i mean i think he you know he did say that this is you know I, I want you to know this is the reflection of where i am right now and blah 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 but i mean i imagine someone as, as big as stormzy like is you're gonna get nothing but instant it's amazing or it's terrible yeah it, like that's just kind of what those people do isn't it so you know I, I don't know but um yeah but it did make me go when i saw it i was like oh okay but um i i'm surprised it in a week 
how I've gone from being fairly ho-hum about this to actually really liking it. So I would I would recommend it. I'd recommend you give it a listen, Jamie, since you haven't heard it. Um, yeah, go I don't, for it. I don't know if Sam would, if you'd recommend it as much to people. I, I, I would, well, probably not as much as you, but I'd absolutely recommend that people go and listen to it because it, it's an interesting sort of point in, as you say, the turn from crime into whatever it becomes next. I think it's an interesting document of that particular um, genre, subgenre, whatever you want to call it. I mean, I, as, as I say, it's an impressive album. I just don't know how much I enjoy it at the end of the day. Mm. Okay, cool. All right, there you go. This is what I mean by Stormzy is out now. Let's move on and talk about what we're here to talk about. And that is five albums that have inspired the sound of Jamie Lenman's recent album. Jamie, we asked for five records. How difficult was it to pick those five records that you came up with for this list? Well, not difficult at all. I mean, a lot of it's in my press release, isn't it? So I just had to read my press release back and go, oh, yeah, right, right, right. I mean, it, it, it's difficult because not not all of all these albums represents the atheist, does it? You know, it, it might be a couple of key tracks. Mm. Uh, and, and some of the albums, particularly the, the Me, Myself and Irene soundtrack, that's got a couple of bum steers on it, you know, tracks that sound nothing like the atheist. But mm. half, you know, roughly half of that record was very instrumental. All the Steely Dan covers... Um, you know, so and again with you know Queen Greatest Hits, not all of that sounds like the Atheist, but it was a huge influence in that way. So yeah, those bits were tricky. Let's say. Okay, cool. Well, let's slide straight into your first pick, shall we? Night on My yeah. Side by Gemma Hayes, the debut oh. solo album from the Irish solo artist, released on the twenty fourth of May two thousand two, a Mercury Prize nomination. This uh, this album got. Wow. Um, I don't know if you were well, obviously not familiar with it or aware of that. Um, I was unfamiliar with the work of Gemma Hayes. I have oh, to say. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> so, yes, thank you very much for what is a sumptuous record. Mm. Um, talk to me about this pick, Jamie. What was the, you know, what did you take from it? Where did you hear it? Like, what's the story? I just, this was, um, this one and the Webb Brothers record actually came from the same place. They came from my agent. When when we were, my band were being courted by record labels and agents and whatnot, the, the, what would happen is we'd go up to London town. If we were lucky, they might take us for a lunch somewhere. Then we'd go back to the office and have a boring chat. I didn't like that bit. I preferred the lunch. And then right at the end, they would open the magic cupboard and they would say, fill your boots and we'd all have record bags and, and they'd have all the albums by their artists and we'd just nick them. Um, well, not nick them, we, you know, we'd been allowed to nick. Nick away, they'd say. And um, my live agent, I think it was, my live agent, Chris, he did, and I think he might have sent these to me separately. I can't remember if there was one of them office grabs. He might have actually posted me these two records and said, I think you'll like these. And at the time, I was only into, like, you know, very aggressive rock and roll music. So to hear these two records, the Gemma Hayes record and um, the Webb Brothers record, and hear almost the power of sadness, you know, and some of these songs, it's, you know, it's just Gemma on an acoustic guitar sort of mumbling into the microphone, and it's just so sad and fragile and beautiful. Um, but also the production on Night on My Side is quite... um. I want to say music concrete, that's not quite the right phrase, but every now and then there's like snatches of weird sounds that come mm. in, like a door shutting or a, or someone stepping on an accordion. You know, it's not clean. I think that was the, the key thing for me because it'd be very easy to make someone who sounds as beautiful and, let's face it, looks as beautiful as Gemma into a very polished, you know, popstrel, as it were. 
but her production and the way she presents herself and the way um, she works with their producers is to present a, a much more earthy kind of vibe and that's what attracted me to it that it had a sort of a not a grubbiness but a roughness to it that I could uh, cling on to God, go on don't I <laughs> no no that's it? good good no we want you to go on you're here to go on you listen to us you listen to us every fucking week uh, you're here you should go on um, although saying that shush for a minute while I get yeah. Sam's Sam's opinion on this record what do you reckon of this Sam uh, this is absolutely superb I, I, I'm so pleased that I, I have now heard Gemma Hayes' music um, it's Cheryl Crow fronting my bloody Valentine isn't it and what's what's wow. not great about that I mean particular song like Hanging Around um starts you know really quite quite softly and sweetly as you say Jamie but I think there's enough sort of bite in Gemma Hayes's vocal delivery that it just gives it that kind of underlying sense of mm, this isn't going to be a kind of sheen pop record pop rock record or anything and then you've got this kind of screeching reverb heavy guitar kind of wall of sound going on in the background uh, it's absolutely fantastic that song in particular and then juxtaposed with all these lovely acoustic ballads all the way through I mean I suppose I don't know if ballad is necessarily the right term for them but they are kind of lovelorn um and very very sad songs as you say um and then you've got uh let a good thing go which is just pounding alt rock with disgustingly fuzzed up bass um i think mm. this album's excellent to be honest um i i do feel it starts to drop uh, a little bit towards the end i think when it just sort of settles into that quiet dreamy acoustic stuff it's really, really nice, and it is a nice, different flavour that had been explored in parts earlier in the album, and then it sort of goes full force for them at the end. Um, I do feel that goes on maybe a little longer than I would like it to without some sort of, I don't know, textural foil to it, but that's, it's a pretty minor niggle, and to be honest, uh, I think part of that is Pieces of Glass being there, which obviously is listed in the track list when you're listening to it on streaming, but it was a secret track on the album. So I'm not really going to go too hard on that. But um, yeah, I think this is a lovely album with a, a kind of darkness behind it. And as you say, it has got quite a rough production. It doesn't sound shimmering and clean, even though it really could. It could have been a really kind of summery pop record through and through. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think this is excellent. Yeah, there's, a, there's, there's something, there's a song on it, um, Lucky One. Yeah. And it's sort of, do you remember when... Oh my God. Uh, which I, I think is fucking brilliant. And it's sort of got... Do you remember when like, like the Beta Band came along uh, kind of a couple of years before this? And they weren't a rock band and they, they weren't really... They weren't sort of an indie band either, but they had this very particular production thing where the, the drums were kind of... Everything felt really spacious and slightly disconnected, but all kind of... But the the sort of conjoining parts all felt like it could all kind of fall apart at any minute. And I do love that about this record. I think it's it's like that, but with a far better vocalist. You know, because her, <laughs> her voice is lovely. Yeah. Like, it's just absolutely lovely. And I think, um, what's the, the song, Ran For Miles? as well mm. round for miles is another uh, highlight you're picking them all mate yeah is is brilliant and um you know i want to stay i think is amazing as well i mean i can absolutely see why this was nominated for a mercury music prize because i think it is just you know kind of catnip to those people who do the the mercury music prize in it but at the same time like you say sam it's not i think we like back on when we were doing right we spoke about damien rice and it's like oh on paper Damien Rice just sounds like a, a David Gray or a, you know, like insert 
acoustic-y, kind of wobbly-headed acoustic crooner who sells loads and loads of records here. But there's something else, like you say, darker and more unique to him than that. And I feel similarly about Gemma Hayes. I feel like on the on the surface, you might go, oh, she's a bit like... I mean, you mentioned Cheryl Crow, Sam. I can't think of anyone else to mention uh, that is more suitable than her at the moment. But there's, to me, there is a there's a fragility and a darkness and a um, something else to her. That little bit of that extra kind of there's an edge, um, isn't there? Alternative for... that that kind of genuine alt thing. Mm. She's got that without really ever you know you wouldn't say oh this is alt rock or it's not a grunge album or anything it's much more quiet than that but she she toured with marianne faithful and counting crows around this period as well oh, crikey wow i mm. saw her with um who's that band that did fly to el salvador athlete i saw her with athlete once on the second record that was great that was great right yeah okay yeah this is um this is excellent this mm. record really i'm oh, so glad you liked it and i didn't know it jamie i didn't know it at all Wow. I mean, did you know Marooned by the Web Brothers? No, we're about to talk about that. I didn't know okay. that either. All right. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, let's move on then. Yeah, Gemma Hayes, uh, Night on My Side, is really, really good. Mm. I mean, if you're into that kind of, if you're into that kind of, uh, it's really patronising to say sort of, if you like, sad female singer-songwriters. But, I mean, if you are into that, then you definitely will like it. But there's more to it than that, I think. Um, Maroon, then, by the Web Brothers, the second studio album from the Chicagoan rock band, released on the 1st of June 2000. Again, I didn't know this band. I actually accidentally looked up the Mitchell Brothers, who are not the same at all. <laughs> <laughs> definitely not the same. Um, so, yeah, go on, then. Uh, you, this, is, this is another freebie that you got at the time? Yeah, this is another freebie. And again, I, I'd never considered this kind of music before, sort of acoustic guitar led, lots of close harmonies. And it had a, a melancholy as well. It's a bit more robust than Gemma's record, but I think you could put it in the same sort of genre. You know, they they, they spoke to me as a pair at the time. What I think what what the Red Brothers are doing is is a, a lot more Beatlesy. They've got a lot of brass in there, particularly, you know, in the intermission, they've got that lovely in, uh, instrumental number. They got some funny things like uh, "Winter's Over," "Summer People." You know, that's a funny disco one. Thing, the Liars Club, the first track on the record, it goes from this tiny, like, acoustic thing into this full-blown, almost like a musical number. Really powerful. And and the thing that separates them out from other people for me is their close harmonies. All the way through, the two brothers are performing in close harmony. And I've wanted to do something like that for so long, and, and never quite got it. And it's sort of, you know, it fits in. It could fit in with what Gemma Hayes is doing, but it could also fit in with what some of like Supergrass are doing. You know, some of it gets a bit more fuzzy on the guitars. It's got that sort of indie jangle to it. But for me, again, the, the biggest word is the melancholy. You know, all the cocaine in the world, so melancholy. And the one about... Um, ugly to you no i'm ugly to me i can't remember it's i'm ugly but handsome to you i just love it so mm. much and their voices are just beautiful and the arrangements uh just luscious i thought yeah i really i still love this record so much flaming lips reminds me of oh yeah I think okay loads of like that th because yeah like you say this is essentially kind of an indie pop a kind of all indie pop record but it's got 
when you mention Supergrass, I mean, Supergrass are a three. Love Supergrass, but they're a three piece, right? They're a three yeah. piece guitar, bass, drums, probably a few guitar overdubs, a few vocal overdubs, and yeah, the odd occasional accoutrement. But th- this does feel like a proper sort of the way that the Flaming Lips are almost like an orchestra to themselves. This has got that to it. It's got the same thing that, you know, for me, the same thing I like about Pink Floyd, where you think, God, there's so much here. There are layers upon layers upon yeah, layers. There's no limits. Yeah, it, it, it's such a, a the, the depth of this record is something that was the thing that I took away from it the most. I think there's excellent songwriting on here. There's really, really catchy melodies. I never quite knew where we were about to go but it's the depth of sound of it that I thought was just brilliant. You whack this on your headphones mm. and it sounds beautiful. Yeah, again, I, I very much enjoyed this. Sam? I'm so glad. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very much on the same stay, uh, same page as Steve there. Um, I completely agree with what you were saying as well, Jamie. It is really lush and really robust. It's it's quite a muscular production for, you know, songs that aren't designed to absolutely batter you. You know, it's not hate breed. This is, as you say, it's kind of <laughs> orchestral pop crossed with indie rock. Um, and I do think, yeah, it, it, it was the vocal harmonies fairly consistently throughout the entire album that really, really drugged me in. I think... It was just such a beautiful vocal interplay between the two brothers, um, and it it's it's weird. You you guys have already thrown out some artists there as well. Obviously, we've had the Beatles, Flaming Lips. It really made me think of Elvis Costello. A lot of it. It's kind of ah, broadly yeah. kind of acoustic sort of singer songwritery with that kind of dark undercurrent to it, and then all these bells and whistles and these weird accoutrements that come in. I mean, in the second song, I can't believe you've uh, you're gone. Starts off with, oh. oh, it's a beautiful song, but it's got that sort of dry production on the percussion that's really quite heavy, quite stomping, almost to the point of kind of like industrial take on metallic kind of percussion kind of yeah. thing. It feels like they might have fashioned the kit out of, I don't know, bin lids, but then produced it better than the snare on St. Anger, for example. And then as you get to the kind of last 90 seconds, there's this like, it sounds like a theremin wobbling into view. And it's like, well, you wouldn't necessarily put that on a track that does sound like, you know, a big bombastic, yeah. well, almost love song. Um, I suppose in terms of the vocal harmonies, all the cocaine in the world. I mean, that's that's got to be the sweetest song I've ever heard about cocaine. It sounds <laughs> yeah. so lush. It is it's gorgeous. Um, I think weirdly i think one of my highlights of it would actually be intermission which intermission it is it is exactly what it says on the tin it's an intermission in the album and it's just this kind of lovely piano and brass almost like salsa kind of party vibe feel yeah, and i, I yeah. just thought oh my god it's a shame they didn't turn that into like a five minute song with lyrics and vocals because i love that so much the sound of it is just so so vibrant and so gorgeous um yeah a- another awesome pick to be honest goes from sort of yeah, acoustic balladry with orchestral pop kind of uh, trappings around it. And then there's even sort of bit elements of alt rock and stuff in there. Um, I think it's lovely. Um, wow. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no I'm real I'm so notes. pleased these are, go- <laughs> these are going so well. What are you going to say when we come around to Queen Greatest Hits? going to trash oh, it. God. Like, I hated this. <laughs> What's the point? Is this the best they've got? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I found actually you say Elvis Costello, Sam. That's a good chat actually because there's a I found a little line from the Spin review that called the record a piano-driven waltz with the ghosts of drugs, alcohol, and loneliness, variously evocative of Elvis Costello, Elliot Smith, and even Wilco with melodic harmonic roots in the Beatles. Mm. 
That's a pretty good what sentence. What a lovely this... line. Yeah, very good. Yeah. So I thought that was a, a good part of the review. The other thing I noticed about it, it was produced by uh, by Stephen Street, who did a lot of the sort of the Yemaine Britpops. He did all the Britpop lads, didn't he? he Yemaine <laughs> Britpops. All the main Britpops. He did... Um, he did Part Life. Uh, he did the Cranberries. Uh, no need to argue. It's a big one. Did the It Girl by by Sleeper. Um, wow. He did Shed Seven, The Long Pigs. So, uh, I mean, you know, like, look, as the years have gone on, I've found myself much more enthralled by Britpop. And it might just be nostalgia or whatever that I can now sit down and listen to Shed Seven and not just go like, oh, God. <laughs> but I have to say, they never... They, they feel like they're less of a challenge, I would think, to record than an album like this. Like, this must have been... It just feels like a... I love listening to an album going, cool, this must have been an undertaking to get all of this spot on mm. and get it right. And I think the production job, and shout out Stephen Street for the production job on it, because I think it's wicked. Yeah, I think I knew that, but I'd forgotten it. Thanks for reintroducing me to that fact. I mean, we could talk about Parklife, one of my favourite albums of all time. Yeah. So it makes it's no surprise to me to, to relearn that. Mm. Yeah, great. Wow. Thanks yeah. for that nugget. It is it is class. Is it just the two of them? So the the Webb brothers are they just that? Is it just the two brothers who's on this? I think I think it's just the two. Oh, what as in players? Yeah. I no, I couldn't tell you. I've got another album of theirs, Beyond the Biosphere, that sounds fairly similar. I think it's probably just them two guys and they get players, but I couldn't tell you who plays what on the record. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. All right. Yeah. No. No. That's fine, mate. I did see. It. There's no. There's no shinfo, no information. It says all tracks are written by. Justin and uh, Christian Webb. So presumably they've arranged, just arranging this is enough of a I, fucking challenge. Yeah, absolutely. Well, they've got, um, you know, uh, musical lineage. I think their dad did the Wichita Line Man, right? That's their, their dad was oh, the right. fella that wrote that and sang that, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay, cool. Well, there you go. Anyway, Maroon by the Webb Brothers. Again, I think of the stuff I didn't know, I think that's my favourite. Wow. Ooh. Oh, I'm so happy. I'm so happy. Yeah, I, yeah, that's a tough call for me. I might just go for Gemma Hayes as my favourite for the ones I didn't know. But they're both, also both good. brilliant. So, yeah. Mm. Yeah, okay. Well, let's move on then to your third pick, Jamie, which is someone we're not sure we've had a soundtrack for a while. Oh, ever, maybe. Uh, Me, Myself and Irene, the Jim Carrey yeah. and Rennie Zellweger movie from the year 2000. The yeah. old Farrelly Brothers classic. Uh, I saw this at cinema, but it's a soundtrack to it. It's not the film, but the soundtrack to it. Let's talk about the film first. The, the, you like the film? I watched the film recently and it does not hold up. No, I didn't think it would, no. <laughs> it's pretty gross in its uh, treatment of women of the Rene Zellweger character. It, it, pretty indefensible. Uh, and some uh, odd areas of other that we won't talk about. You know, it's very much a product of its time that you could see in 2000 and go, this is fine. And then see 20 years later and go, oh, my God, <laughs> this this was pop culture. It's like watching Friends, you know, you go, oh, oh what have yeah. you done? Yeah. So um, it has got on to just we won't go into it here. But if you go to the Wikipedia page, there is a section called controversy. On the <laughs> yeah, Wikipedia right. Page. Always a good sign. So, Always a good sign. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, I'd say we should steer the conversation in the opposite direction of the actual Definitely. movie. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I bought the sound. I bought the soundtrack for two songs that are not on the soundtrack. Right. I went to see the film with John from Ruben, and I was like, "This is brilliant." 
I wanted Cakes, the hem of your garment, which plays at one point, which I loved. And there's the tune that plays when he transforms from the nice version of him to the nasty version of him. It's like, na 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 na, we're gonna rock you. And I love that tune. And I, so I bought the album expecting this to be on it. Neither of them were. I was initially furious, but like you say, I only had £15 that month, right? So I'd made my bed. And then as I lay in it, I discovered that again, and this was at the same kind of time that I'd got, you know, the Gemma Hayes record and the Webb Brothers record. Although I would have been familiar with things like Foo Fighters Breakout and there's an offspring track on it, you know, the bigger, louder, rockier bits. I found myself gravitating towards the smaller, humbler bits by um, Pete Yorn in particular. Lots of artists are doing um, Steely Dan covers. Mm. I didn't realise, and I didn't know Steely Dan either. But um, all those tracks, you know, um, Hootie and the Blowfish do an incredible uh, Steely Dan cover. The uh, Who's that fellow that was in the Stray Cats? And he's got his... Brian Setzer does a brilliant yeah. Steely Dan cover. I mean, Brian Setzer is, is swing. But a lot of the artists, I think Three Eye Blind or Two Doors Down or... or Third Eye Blind it is, yeah. Third Eye Blind on it. They're doing this sort of, you know, indie kind of stuff. I love it, man. And um, it's particularly Pete Yorn. The kind of the scratchy Steely Dan covers that has an aesthetic and a vibe to it that I've somehow connected with over what Foo Fighters and Offspring were doing. Hmm. Yeah, it's funny, this one. I mean, I also, I remember Breakout by the Foo Fighters. I remember the video yeah. was kind of a sort of three and a half minute version of me, myself and Irene with yes. with Dave Grohl being the Jim Carrey playing the kind of the mad one and the sort of nerdy version. So um, I don't know if that's what made me go into the cinema. But I did. And Breakout is great. There's an offspring covering AFI yeah. weirdly, uh, on here, which, uh, you know, I did listen to that and I was like, should have got AFI really. Don't, yeah. don't, don't cover it. Don't cover it. Don't cover AFI, please. Um, but yeah, I like, you know, broadly speaking, I mean, I don't know any, I, I still don't know Steely Dan. They are a, they are a blind spot in my, my kind of musical knowledge. So for me, I was here, I'm, I, I, I have no reference to be like, Oh, there's that song, which is the Steely Dan one. But you can kind of tell that the majority of these songs are good songs. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Wow. What a review. <laughs> yeah. Six out yeah, of ten. I mean, look, look I, I, I don't need Smash Mouth doing much. No. Let alone covering Steely Dan. I, I'm in a similar boat to you, Steve, where um, I, I don't particularly know Steely Dan, even though there's quite a few artists, quite a few contemporary artists I, I know who cite him as quite a big influence. I mean, I think Black Midi uh, have talked about loving Steely Dan in amongst their kind of weird melange of primus meets swans meets king crimson sound um yeah this <clears throat> oh excuse me this is an interesting one um i would broadly say i do gravitate towards the steely dan covers to be honest i think that the songs that already existed that were kind of part of the soundtrack so like breakout by foo fighters obviously is a good song uh the video is um good it, I think I find it more funny that Dave Grohl looks like such a scrawny teenager in the kind of early, late yeah. 90s, early 2000s. I kind of forgot that that's what he used to look like. So that was quite nice to revisit. Um, yeah, I, I think the Pete Yorn one would probably be my favourite. Like you say, Jamie, it's got that real kind of scratchy, kind of ragged quality to it. I really enjoyed the Ben Folds 5 cover of Barrytown as well. Um, oh, beautiful. Yeah, about absolutely gorgeous. Um, ben Folds 5 are a band I've only really discovered this year uh thanks to steve talking about how brilliant they are um at, at, at several points 
Um, mm. Or maybe just once, I can't remember. But he's, he's mentioned him, so I checked him out. Uh, I love Ben Folds 5, and I love Ben Folds. So that was a bit of a slam. That was a bit of a home run. Yeah. Was an easy, an easy yeah. sell for me. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. I I would say I'd say this is a pretty easy sell. I I think this is probably my least favorite collection of songs that we're talking about this week in terms of your picks, Jamie. But it's not to say that it's bad. Sure. It's just obviously being a film soundtrack is a little bit more disjointed than an album would be. But oh, it's wildly disjointed. But I yeah. suppose thematically that makes sense given the film that it is a soundtrack for. Nice. Oh, oh you have just made this so much better for me. <laughs> thank you so thank you so You're much. Welcome. You're so right. That's so clever. <laughs> the first time I've ever been called that. Um yeah, yeah. <laughs> this this one's this one's good. Um I I don't know that I have loads to say on kind of individual tracks to be honest, even though they are all so disparate. Um I think I have realised I'm not really a fan of Hootie and the Blowfish though. Like Shame, they're all right, mate. but it's it's not for me. Yeah, it's all the. Uh, that's where they lose me a bit on this soundtrack. The kind of your third eye blinds and Hootie and the Blowfishes and uh, and and that sort of stuff is where I'm a little bit less. It's uh, um, when it becomes aggressively it, American, I would say. It's like corporate rock, yeah. you know, corporate middle of the road rock. And I agree with you, but for some reason, you know, I I give them a pass on this record. I think what Third Eye Blind do. And what Hootie do is, you know, I just, for some reason, I accept it because it's part of this uh, unit. I'd never listen to them outside of this. You know, of mm. the artists that I have gone to explore outside of it, like Brian Setzer, like Pete Yorn, you know, um, Third Eye Blind and Hootie are, are not amongst that number. But but I sort of, you know, I slap it on, I, I'm into it, I dig it. Even Smash Mouth sounds good on this record. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's, let's yeah, not say I'm things not sure can't, they, we can't take back. <laughs> I, <laughs> I preferred him, prefer him on the Shrek soundtrack myself. Yeah. I mean, soundtracks are funny, aren't they? Like, you don't, don't really get them anymore, do you? No, I was... Like, I was they were all the thing. They were all the rage in the 90s and the, in the early 2000s. That was the thing when you get a soundtrack. You just whack Big Star's yeah. face on the cover of a CD, get Blink-182... PJ Harvey. PJ. Yeah. She's and, always on them. And then, you know, get a load of them people, whoever they are, who were big at that time, mm. fucking Soul Asylum, whatever. Smack it, you know, get one of their B-sides, whack it all together, play five seconds of it in the background of a bar scene in the film, and you've made, you've, you've sold a million records. Yeah. Yeah. At £15 a pop. It's such a, I was going to say it's a lost art, but, well, and it is, but it's, um, it's also something you go like, oh, we all we all fell for that, didn't we? You all own the Crow soundtrack. <laughs> yeah. We all own the Crow soundtrack or the Batman Forever soundtrack. Cro- on the Batman Forever, let's, that's an entire other podcast. Like I talk for days about the Batman Forever soundtrack. I was on a movie <laughs> yeah. soundtrack, you know. I got one song on Van Wilder 2. Oh, yeah? Really? We were, okay. Oh, yeah. We were, we're in the movie as we're the music playing in the party scene. Oh, yeah. And we're on, and we're on the soundtrack. Yeah, that was a big ambition. We always wanted to be in some like American teen film, and be specifically to be the music playing at the party. But it's so weird because there's all these California kids, right, dancing to "Kick in the Mouth," the most farmer <laughs> sounding song, and my big British voice like, "We play uh, an American party," as if they'd put that on, and it just looked so weird. But I, we did it, you know. It's such a shame you didn't get to do, because you want to be the band playing the prom, don't you? Well, that's what that, you want doing blame throwing yeah, yeah exactly yeah. right yeah that's Amazing, yeah. that's the that's the end goal isn't it that's every i can still get there i still get there you oh wait, mate you see. oh mate if you get if they do like a, american pie the funeral <laughs> and 
<laughs> they they have like Jamie Lenman playing on. Amazing. God, that'd be amazing. That'd I'd be amazing. kicking a math again for him. No, I, yeah, I think he, oh, if it's a funeral, you should do one of my eyes as a clock. I think it'd be okay, much yeah, more totally very, appropriate. Yeah, yeah, somber. Yeah, 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 yeah. respectful. Yeah. yeah. But um, yeah, like there, there was a, it was certainly an interesting time. I mean, th- th- this is far from the. I've definitely bought worse soundtracks than this. I bought definitely. the Resident Evil film soundtrack because My Plague by Slipknot was on it, and that's about the only thing I could recall. So I can't yeah, imagine that song. was a good soundtrack. So yeah. no, I remember getting the uh, Freddy versus Jason soundtrack. Oh dear! Wow! <laughs> and I don't know what possessed me to do that. It can't have been the strength that's of the a film. Bad time can for it? rock. <laughs> No, Creed and Seven Dust oh, and El Nino and oh. some real stinking stench on that. Yeah, I'm sad now. I think we've yeah. started but to. Like, I, I think we've hit upon why you don't really get film soundtracks anymore because they got really, yeah. really bad. They got very yeah. bad. Yeah, yeah, it got quite bad, didn't they? Um, Can't all be judgment anyway, night. It's the, on, it's the only Kitty song I own physically. Oh yeah, is on that. Oh well, unlucky. So sorry, Little sorry, room. Kitty. Whack, whack that on my Wikipedia page. Anyway, <laughs> let's move on. Me, myself, and Irene, original soundtrack. Um, better than the Freddy versus Jason soundtrack. So there you go. There Stick go. that on the post. Nice. Stick that Fair on the poster. <laughs> um, you've already sort of hinted at it, Jamie. Queen Greatest Hits. Yeah. Is where well, we're going next. It's funny. I've started mentioning this in um, when people talk to me about my influences in general because I had an argument with my wife recently i i asked her to pick her favorite album she said madonna the immaculate collection and i was like mm. you you can't have a greatest hits that's not an album is it no and then she she turned me around like she always does because she's way cleverer than me and um she made a successful argument that that a greatest hits can be and should be considered as an album and i was just stopped in my tracks i was like but and she just completely uh proved me wrong and then since then, I've been looking at greatest, the greatest hits that I own, and I realised, well, hey, you know, the first album that really made a huge impact to me was Queen Greatest Hits. And even though I've since got to know all of the albums that those hits came from, I probably still prefer Queen Greatest Hits because it they it makes a sort of a sense. And as an artist myself who makes albums, you know, I spend a long time fussing about the track listing. And, you know, what will come after each other and whatnot to make the best run of songs. You With the greatest hits, you've got to do that even more carefully. You've got to make it, make, you know, 10 or 20 years worth of stuff make a sort of a sense. That's an art in itself. And uh, the ability to tell, you know, my album, let's say my latest album, The Atheist, that maybe tells the story of the last two years of my life, right? With the greatest hits, you could tell the story of 10, 20 or even 30 years of an artist's life. So so in a way it's a lot deeper and more nourishing than uh, an ordinary record might be i know they're basically cash grabs aren't they but i think they're also quite useful as um, a retrospective of someone's career and they can be an album in their own right so that's why i've started saying hey do you know what my favorite queen album greatest hits <laughs> i'd have to say yes absolutely <laughs> Um, yeah, okay. Well, look, I mean, I remember cussing out when the Immaculate Collection was in that Rolling Stone top 500 albums ever. And I remember right. I was livid. I was yeah. like, you can't have that. I think in that sense, that's unfair, isn't it? Surely that, that, that feels quite unfair. But Queen Greatest Hits is an album. Obviously, it's, it, it, it's an album. <sighs> I, like, I find it quite hard to... It's a pretty good justification about how you... Um, 
consider this uh, more than a cash grab. I mean, look, my mum bought me this on tape when I was about 11. That and the Wayne's World soundtrack, funnily enough, speaking of soundtrack. Yes. So I had suddenly had two copies of Bohemian Rhapsody. And it is, I'd say probably, it's an absolutely life-changing purchase, Queen Greatest Hits for me. Absolutely life-changing. It's the first time I really went bloody how I love I like the sound of a guitar yeah because before that you know like as people listening will know the specials and madness and then Duran Duran and uh all that kind of stuff was the stuff that I I really liked as a kid and you know maybe like some very very early hip-hop I sort of was a bit interested in as well you like Pre the specials and madness do you oh mate that's the first music I ever liked why aren't we better friends because have, have you met Steve? slagged off my yeah. <laughs> yeah have you met me yeah. and you know, you slagged off my band in 2000 jamie that's oh what that's why okay, <laughs> yeah, sorry. Was, yeah. I, sh I shot it in the foot could have been beautiful all right sorry Karen, no no we, sorry. we 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 can be very good i saw madness earlier this year it was fucking again greatest hits oh we need to have a whole chat about oh. that that's that's another podcast mate it is another but we'll get we'll get you on when we do um uh complete madness on uh on classic album um, <laughs> lovely or, or any of the early records. Um, but mate, yeah, like, you know, but this was the first time I remember going, fucking hell, I like an overdriven riffy guitar, it, like ever. And then that became like in Nirvana and Oasis and then and then end up being fucking Dying Fetus or whatever. And it's because yeah. of Queen Greatest Hits. And it's funny because, I, you know, I don't listen to Queen these days loads, but, and if I do, I tend to go to an album or like a bit here and there. But I, and I haven't sat down and listened to Queen Greatest Hits in the order that it was put on that tape that I got when I was 10 years old for fucking decades. But I put it on today and it transported me back to that little tape deck in my bedroom when I was 10. And yeah. I just fucking... I, this is this is incredible like for me this is just every single song i love yeah and particularly like you say with what surrounds it yeah i i, I absolutely love it i get when i listen to uh, a night at the opera and another one bites the dust doesn't come on <laughs> after bow rap yeah. i genuinely i like fall on the floor i'm so confused i don't know where i am uh they i mean just, mate uh, Play the game into Flash, into Seven Seas of Rye, into We Will yeah. Rock You, into We Are the Champions. Is so fucking perfect. It's great. It, yeah, it's it not. is a superbly structured best of. And as you say, there is an art form to that in making it not just a kind of cynical, soulless greatest hits. There is there is a craft behind it. Um, for me, uh, so it's funny you say, Steve, that you know you don't listen to Queen so much these days. I don't listen to Queen super often, but if I am going to listen to Queen, it is reaching for the platinum box set of the three greatest hits that's where i always go so uh i'm very familiar with this um and well in part because they're some of the kind of most brilliant and ubiquitous rock songs to have ever been released by a british band ever you know everyone in the uk knows all of the words to bohemian rhapsody that should be the citizenship test if you don't know the, the yeah, whole right. bohemian rhapsody you're out don't care who you are gotta know it Kanye West is out then, isn't he? That's fine. <laughs> That's fine. I'm, yeah. I don't think we want him at the moment, do we? He needs to sort himself out. Very much. But um, yeah, I mean, for me, um, similar to yourself, Steve, but even earlier in my life, uh, the first song I ever showed any kind of interest in 
uh, when I was just a babby was um, Five's cover of We Will Rock You. And so my wow. mum then showed me Queen. I mean, I must have been what? I think I was maybe four years old. And Queen were the first band I ever liked. Um, so they're incredibly important to me. And it, it does all really start here. And to be fair, in particular, um, this would have been when I was coming to sort of like five or six, um, when DVD players became sort of more readily available. It was the greatest hits DVD, like video collection that really, really got me excited. And yeah, I mean, this track list, I, I feel the same as you, Jamie. If I'm ever listening to a Queen album, which as I say, it does not happen very often, but if it doesn't follow this structure, it's like, well, this is wrong, isn't it? Another One Bites the Dust is always the second song. It is always, well, the always and, and then Killer Queen comes straight after. It has to. It right. has to do that. And particularly We Are The Champions. I, I couldn't tell you, even though I listened to it literally the other day, what record We Are The Champions is on. But it's track two on that album. And you're it's like, so clearly the end of the night. You, it's it's, it's the finale. so clearly the last track. And that's what Greatest Hits has over the original albums. <laughs> it's like, come on, here's how to do it properly. You put this there. Who puts We Are The Champions track two? It's mad. That's mad. That is ridiculous. Yeah. 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 Um, I've got two questions for both of you. Go on. Number one, what did you, so you, did you listen back to this in the kind of build up to this podcast? Or Jamie, did you probably didn't need to, did you? But no, I didn't need to. No. No. Sam, did you you listen to this as it as it was? I didn't need to, but yes, I did. Yeah, I did yeah. too. Um, was there one track that you went, oh bloody yeah. like you know? Because obviously people will go, Bohemian Rhapsody, We Are the Champions, whatever. Yeah. Is there one on here which is a slightly sometimes it sort of takes you back a bit and you go oh fuck i've forgotten this is amazing because i got one um i think now that i'm well obviously older than when i first heard it such is the linear nature of time i think i've always really kind of underrated just how brilliant something like you're my best friend is i think the the sweeter side of queen i'd, I'd not really appreciate as much as the rocky bombast um yeah, that, that's one that uh, took me back. And to be fair, good old-fashioned Loverboy, which I think is, it was the that's one. That's the one for me. Yeah, it's the one where I was like, I don't instantly recall every single facet of that song just looking at the track list. So yeah, that was that was one that probably took me back a fair bit as well. Good old-fashioned Loverboy yeah. is mad good. Yeah. Like, it, it, it it's 10 out of 10. In, uh, fuck up. That came on. And as soon as it came on, I was like, oh! good old-fashioned lover boy and like it's not the first one you think of when you think of queen's greatest hits. no so it's no. not the greatest of their hits no but it is it's amazing it's super. so great so yeah. great you got one of them jamie that you don't often think about and then it comes on and you go oh bloody hell well seven seas of rye yeah so i feel like that, get, that gets overlooked a little bit and then you got it on greatest hits you're like bloody hell mate but it's the weird thing about greatest hits is the emissions like tie your mother down mm. why have we not got you know there's nothing from the first record on there um and obviously there's nothing from hot space but steve you and me have got uh, we've spoken previously yeah. about hot yeah. space Good i'm waving the flag for that record so yeah for and i guess you've got to make sacrifices i think it's really odd that tie your mother down is not on it that really should have been on mm. but um so it's more like it's an embarrassment of riches isn't it queen yeah tough to pick that track listing what we said so not only did i get this as a tape first cd i ever bought was queen grits it's two wow Oof. nice now is Queen Greatest Hits two comparable to Queen Greatest Hits? Would you say in 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 terms of quality? Yeah, it's just as good again. It's unbelievable. It's even got another. It's even got another bow rap. It's got Innuendo, which is like mm. the sequel to bow rap. That was there. And fact, fans, their only two number ones were these two like six minute mini operas. 
Really? At either end of their career, it's quite something. Wow, yeah. I, I did I not know that. I think hits too. Yeah. yeah, I didn't know that either. Yeah, I I also think, but I used to hear people go, oh, Queen Grits hits too. Oh, it's like, you know, it's, it's like bloody insert crap sequel. I can't think of a crap sequel off the top of my head now, but it's like, oh, it's like Highlander 2. Rubbish. Highlander 2, yes, thank you, Sam. So, <laughs> I think it's, it's a Terminator 2 judgment day to me. It's Terminator and Terminator 2. I, yeah, that that's a very good fun. comparison. Yeah, I've, it's fucking It's great. slicker, it's meaner. Definitely. Mm. Uh, I've just pulled up the track list because I can't immediately recall Greatest Hits 2 quite as well. Yeah, Greatest Hits 2 is easily as good. I mean, look at this for an opening run. A Kind of Magic, Under Pressure, Radio Gaga, I Want It All, I Want to Break Free, In UA. I mean, I could just do the whole album. I mean, yeah. It's yeah, mad. Yeah. It's I, mad. I think Greatest Hits 3 is where it does fall off oh a little bit. <laughs> but, yeah. With Wycliffe, Sean. Yeah, it falls Less, off a fair bit. No, no. But, uh, no yeah, very first bad. two, absolutely perfect. Yeah, love them. Yeah, love them. yeah you, you can't really... I mean, Greatest Hits 3 is not a thing, really, is it? No. It's not really a thing. It's no. not Bless really it. a thing. Like, you no. know, you sort of say it is. Well, it, it's in that box set, which I think is probably the only reason that box set exists was because they released another disc that no one would want to hear if it was on its own. So, sure, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I've got the track listing up for Queen Greatest Hits 2 and I reckon I'm going to listen to this. As soon as we finish, that's where I'm going. Look at that. Oh, we're here. That's Radio Gaga. Absolutely brilliant. Headlong, what a tune yes. that is. Yeah, yeah. What Incredible. a tune. Absolutely brilliant. Um, anyway, so there you go. Queen Greatest Hits, it is good. Let's end with... Uh, an album that we actually mentioned last week mm. when we were reviewing your record, Jamie. Uh, Pinkerton by Weezer, the second album from the alternative rock legends, the difficult one, the weird one, the one that everyone has probably jumped on as the best one over the years and the one that the band themselves hate, released on the 24th of September, 1996. Um, we spoke about Pinkerton a lot. Pinkerton has a hell of a reputation um, and people have a hell of a connection to it. What's yours, Jamie? My connection to it is uh, I obviously heard the uh, the Blue Album first. Like everyone, you know, Buddy Holly came free with Windows 85 or whatever it was. <laughs> and uh, so I love that. But if you've, um, which, isn't to, which isn't to say that the Blue Album is particularly polished. I think, well, um, is it Rick Okasek has done on that is create a very fuzzy, grungy record. Yeah. But it, it is sweet. It's sweet, isn't it? Mm. Whereas... Yeah. If you if we take what I've been saying about um, particularly the Gemma Hayes album at the start of our little chat here, is that I always gravitate towards things that are a bit earthier and a bit rough around the edges. That's what Pinkerton is. It it takes it takes what they did on the Blue Album that formula and roughens it up and doesn't worry so much about making sure everything's sweet and someone in the band will be just like ad libbing or at least it sounds like they're ad libbing a harmony that they only just thought of at that minute and there's like you know someone dropping a drum on the floor. The drums sound like they were recorded in a different building, you know, when they just stuck a mic out the window. And I just, to combat that, because the Blue Album is so sweet, like we say, to combat and uh, that sweetness of River's voice as well, to have those ugly sounds like Pat's drums and the overloaded guitars, which I fully ripped off for Talk Hard and Freddy Krueger before it. You know, I've been trying to remake Pinkerton my whole career and uh, I've only got uh, so close so that's why Pinkerton was such a... Um, I prefer it to the Blue Album. And it's darker, and it feels more honest, and there's more pain in it. It's just... It's unimpeachable to me. Yeah. Mm. 
it's funny to talk about this album and again it's a record that i over various podcasts at various times have spoken about a lot and i've spoken about weezer a lot um it's good to bring this in on the week where we're talking about a your recent album jamie and also the stormzy album there seems to be a, there's a kind of weird through line and i think you kind of sit between in the middle of the stormzy album and this album because this is a raw album this is an honest album but it's also um <laughs> it, it's the ugliest weezer have ever been mm, it's the yeah. kind of most cynical rivers cuomo has ever sounded and kind of and i don't mean cynical you could say like well beverly hills is cynical because he's trying to write a song that everyone will want to sing along to or whatever but i don't think that's true um i think this is kind of genuinely um got a kind of genuine darkness from a band who with the exception of this record you don't think about dark things when you think about weezer but the dude painted his room black mm. and has he's very open about some of the weird shit that was going on in his head you know mm. in in regards to the relationships that he's having with women and or wanted to have with women or how he felt about all of that um it, it but it but it is completely brilliant like it's it's so brilliant i mean again i've spoken about this album a lot it's obviously a fucking classic um i don't think i've ever spoken to you about it though sam what do you think about this record um i it depends the day you catch me on if it's my favorite weezer album or not because obviously it's between this and blue they are obviously yeah. the two that you decide between and it does depend which flavor of weezer you want which is do you want them writing these amazing as you say kind of sugary sweet really really nice but really punchy rock songs or do you want this i mean to be honest like it, this is such a dark record it really really is um quite visceral I, I i don't know if i'd necessarily say cynical so i i don't think that's wrong but i'd possibly say that rivers may be more jaded but sort of jaded to the point of just mm. like absolute fury just kind of the seething anger that seeps through every crevice of how just it, it, it's an unpleasant listen I revisiting this in the run up to this. This is another one where I was like, oh, I don't really need to listen to it, but I will. And I'm glad I did because I think I've always underestimated quite how heavy this album is. And, you know, mm. there's, there's been, uh, well, I mean, certainly across Steve's kind of recording career, you know, broadcast, whatever. Um, and then my kind of brief tenure so far, there has been a lot of discussion about what actually constitutes heavy. And it's like, yeah, Napalm Death are heavy, but I'd argue that Caligula by Lingua Ignota is a heavier album. And I think this... Oh, you and my yeah, boy. I mean, this sits much more on the side of he emotional heft, which I think a powerful lyric does so much more than a blast beat for me in terms of moving me. Even, you know, I say that yes. wearing a Slayer Christmas jumper as we record, but it's like, you know, <laughs> I, 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 I underestimated quite how nasty this record is. It's they, I actually realised that for me, kind of lyrically, and in terms of delivery almost... There's almost some points of comparison to like Big Black, like atomizer, that kind of real ugliness and quite kind of, I don't know, violent sexual imagery in it, you know, kind of a little bit more opaque than what's going on on atomizer. But um, yeah. it's quite difficult in places. It is. For sure. Yeah. 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 I mean, um, El Scorcho, you know, I think there, there are some lyrics that there, even though it's a kind of sweeter melody on this album, it's like you could read some really dark stuff into that. And I think that is very much where that song came from. So. Uh, yeah. I mean, you're not going to get any arguments from me. This is clearly one of the best albums ever written. Uh, and I'm really glad that uh, you brought it in, Jamie, because it, it's made me re-listen to it. And Weezer aren't a band I often think to listen to, much as I like those first 
Well, first three albums. I do like the Green album as well. Although, actually, I suppose that ties it back to what we said about Metallica. Green album since does feel like we're trying to recapture the glory because that's what everyone oh, wants definitely. from them, isn't it? You know. No, you're absolutely right. Yeah, that was the turning yeah, point. Yeah, definitely. Right. But uh, yeah, I mean, Pinkerton is it's an absolute ten out of ten. No notes. Yeah. Did you see them on this tour at all, Jamie? Because obviously, the the reaction to this record initially. You will remember, I imagine, as a fan, as I do, that it was a very, very muted response initially, wasn't it? I was, I was too young. I, I didn't catch it when it came out. I wasn't aware of Weezer as a thing until after Pinkerton had, had come out. And then they went away, and the legend was that they'd gone away to university and that they would come back when they'd finished university. So we were, when I found Weezer, we were sort of waiting for the return of the king. And then when they came back with the Green album that I thought um, was a sort of um, a plastic, uh, not panacea, I'm looking for like a a pacifier to the fans who were like saying, oh, make it more like the Blue Album. It was a reaction to mm. Pinkerton. I was very upset and I went to see them on the Green Album tour. It couldn't have been a worse decision for a fan of the Pinkerton record because the whole thing, the album and the tour, was a very strong reaction against it. On the Green Album tour, they played the whole of the Green Album. They played a couple of bits from the Blue Album, like maybe two tracks. Not enough. And I think he he even got angry with a member of the crowd who had a sign-up that said El Scorcho. So they played nothing from Pinkerton. And I was devastated. Mm. And that's why I'd never do that. Apart from that one download show I did <laughs> to my to my audience, I made myself a little promise there that I broke it down and I apologised. I'd never do that to my audience because whatever your favourite album is, it might be a weird album. You want to hear something off it, do you know what I mean? So I try yeah. so hard to represent that. Even if it's an album that I don't like, someone in the audience really loves it. So I do make a conscious effort to... Um, to try and include a little bit of everything I've done in my live shows, and I'd never like get angry at someone for requesting a song if they were doing it politely, you know. So that was quite devastating to go and see them on the Green Album tour. Yeah. Well, I saw them in Reading at Reading in 1996 on the main stage, Ooh. and it was about a month before this record came out, and I thought they were going to split up like then, yeah, right. then, pretty much. I was like, that's. That's done in it. Like that's. I was really excited to see Weezer because I had the Blue Album, and you know, be, like anyone with ears, I thought the Blue Album was just this fucking insane collection of magnificent sort of alternative rock genius, which it is. It's and brilliant. it's fucking incredible. And again, like Sam, like you say, Sam, I think to flip a coin for which is my favorite Weezer depends, album, on, the mood, depends on the mood depends on the mood i mean when someone asks me absolutely yeah, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. They're, they're both 11 out of 10 and so i was super excited to see weezer they were like the first band of that day that i was really really excited about and um you know i think i said it before and they came out <laughs> he was uh he was grumpy. He was really grumpy. And people have been chucking mud all day because it was redding and it was the 90s and we were all like little animals. Bastards. And um, and most people sort of were like, oh, yeah, throwing mud at us. As soon as the first bit of mud hit the, that stage when Weezer were on, Rivers went into a big old row. Why are you there throwing mud at us? And then just it got worse and worse as they went on. And they just they just could t- tell that they, they didn't want to be there. And they played a few songs from this. So I remember hearing it and thinking, God, like, 
the first time you hear it live being played by some miserable men in the rain in a <laughs> festival and you are like cool oh, this is this is different. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, well, what's going on here? And I thought, well, I think they might have lost the plot. And I remember being so excited to see him. And then by the end of that set, I was like, well, they've lost the plot and I'm not buying a new album. And it came out and it got shitty reviews. And I was like, oh, well, I guess that's that. And then it's only sort of years later. I think like a couple of years later, one of my mates had bought it and went, you know that Weezer album that we all ignored? It's actually really fucking good. And then wow. sort of did me a tape of it. And, we, and I was like, oh it's really different but oh yeah it is good actually isn't it? and then and then that's when the sort of you could almost sort of feel the the change happen but, but there's this whole sort of myth that um you know pinkerton came out and everyone hated it mm. i think they were just clearly in a pretty bad place and i don't think it was a very like i don't remember it get them doing anything in kerrang like i don't think they even they even spoke to Kerrang or the enemy or I remember they they got I think they got like I think they got four out of five in Metal Hammer <laughs> which just seems fucking insane now right they even oh get, Metal Hammer get, get, like, well, I mean, they, well it's, Hammer it's the heaviest record that is true well yeah, yeah. it is you know yeah, it's yeah. certainly as heavy as a bunch of stuff that Hammer you know like a year later Policy, Policy yeah. by Feeder was yeah, Hammer's yeah. album of the year so it was just a different time but I do think that like they clearly, even before it came out, this is like a month before it came out, they were grumpy, grumpy as fuck on stage at Reading. They just didn't look like they want to be there. And so I think this whole thing of like, oh, everyone hated it when it came out. I don't think anyone really heard it because they just didn't yeah. seem to want to bother with it. Mm. So I was lucky because by the time I came, by the time I entered the conversation, that turnaround had already happened. And people, there was no question. It was like, well, this is an amazing album. You know, that dust had sort of settled. So I was just presented with these two, you know, platters of perfection. Mm. And then I just had to sit and wait until um, Hashpipe, you know. Yeah, out. yeah, yeah. I mean, I, st I still have mates who liked Weezer. Who you know, you know, you get those mates who sort of, they don't really kind of keep up with music. They just listen to music when they're a kid. And, and I've still got yeah. mates who go, oh, poor, it's weird about Weezer. Do you remember that band Weezer? And they, they only had, like, put loads of albums out. But they've only got the one good one, haven't they? And you're like, no, mate. No, mate. You went to Reading, you saw them, and then you refused to listen to them. And then you oh, stopped wow. listening to stuff in 1998. And you aren't aware that everyone else in the world is like, oh, my God, Pinkerton's a piece of fucking genius. Because mm. it's... Um, you should make it anyway. listen to Hurley. Yes, listen to her. That that will show him. Yeah, Raditude. <laughs> yeah, fucking hell. Uh, oh, is what is Raditude the low point? I mean, Jay, I, you're, I, yeah. but for me, I'd probably say Hurley would be my least favourite. Yeah, I yeah. think me too. Actually, yeah. I stopped listening a long time ago. I couldn't. Uh, I couldn't take the tears. It's really no. annoying I, because Weezer have so many dreadful albums, and then every now and then one will come along and there'll be that kind of groundswell of, oh, this is quite good, actually. And then it's like, oh, my God, oh, my God, they're back, they're back on form. And then they'll do another shit three after that. Like, the White Album was really, really good. Um, that is good. Basically, everything that's come since is, is terrible. So, Yeah, so if you're listening, you're going, why haven't you reviewed the last two EPs that they've put? Are they put three EPs out? I think we're shit? about to get the and fourth one. Yeah, the fucking seasons we're about thing. To get the yeah. Look, I have listened to them. I don't know if you listen to them, but I, I have, have listened yeah. to them. No, I'm not reviewing that. No, sorry. There's no point. Wow. Uh, it's not good. No. Stay away, Jamie. Keep away. You've made the correct decision. Stick. Stay away. Uh, anyway, there you go. That's the end of the show. 
those are the five records that informed Jamie's recent album. Mate, thanks for coming on. We really appreciate it. It's been lovely chatting You're welcome. to you. It's so nice. And I, I got to say, I, I did listen to that other podcast you did last week without realizing that it was you two. And about mm -hmm. halfway through, I was like, hold on, I know them voices. <laughs> but it's a really it's a really great show. And, uh, and I'm so pleased that you two as well, you know, who I'd known from various your various uh, publications and your previous work have come together. I think you made a great pairing. And I really appreciate that the uh, in-depth time and the patience that you that you took to talk about my album but also everyone else's albums i'm just really pleased to be on such a quality podcast is what i'm saying thank you very much oh mate that's a very very lovely thing to say that is a lovely thing to say and uh and we mean it we we you know we we really you know i i, I think we both afterwards were speaking about your record and we were like that's fucking great oh yeah, what yeah. a great record but you're a, you're a man who um who rarely if ever Let's your fans or uh, or anybody down, Jamie. You've certainly not. I'll let try us down, harder. I'll try harder. You wait till my next one. I'm gonna try really hard to piss everyone off. You've been doing. You've been. See, you said this. You've hinted at this throughout this podcast. Oh, they won't stop. You you can't do it. I know you're not gonna do it. We all. You, you're not. You're not fooling anyone. You wait, mate. <laughs> we'll see we will see all right anyway next week um well we're gonna have a we're sort of it's the end of the year isn't it so we're gonna yeah. start doing end of end of year things next week so there's not anything new that we're going to be reviewing we're going to be talking about what's been going on in the last 12 months it's been a good year and you'll find out all our favorite things from said year next week so we will see you then thanks again for listening and uh we'll be back soon bye <laughs>